That's life. That's life. That's what all the people say. You're riding high in April, shot down in May. But I know I'm gonna change that tune. When I'm back on top, back on top in June. Pilot to Bombardier. I repeat, Pilot to Bombardier. Greetings from Podcastville. This is Julian back with another episode. It is February 23rd. And uh, this episode, I get the honor of speaking with my good friend, Mr. Bobby Falkenberg. We talk about life, ego, learning as we develop as humans. We talk about his his um, his journey as um, his journey as an author and and the release of his first novel. And uh, yeah, it was an excellent podcast. Uh, before I get started, I would like to mention there's a conversation that I'm having with Bobby where I reference a conversation that I've had with my girlfriend, and I mistranslate what she had said, I make it sound a little bit harsher than it was, um, so I just want to apologize to her for that, but um, yeah, I hope y'all enjoy, this is a raw, unedited, unedited conversation between uh, my friend Mr. Falkenberg and I, hope y'all enjoy. Check, alright, alright, we're live, we're hot, we're hot on the mic all right let me let's let's let me bring you down here just to okay. touch yeah he's showing me this advanced setup right here this is some trigonometry <laughs> it's not trigonometry this is wild we got wires everywhere watch your acls you're gonna trip yeah we got mics hot we got headphones live you're gonna pour yourself something i'm gonna pour i was gonna pour both of us something if you wanted it I'm going to drink this. Okay. I don't have as much hair on my chest yet. <laughs> well, I'll get there eventually. This is interesting hearing the mics. Yeah. You have to, it takes getting used to. Yeah. Okay. And you know how it kind of sounds, it almost sounds a little like, um, like spacey. Yeah. 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 It won't sound like that on the recording. Uh -huh. It's just when you're sitting here next to it, listening to it, it kind of has like a, almost like a robotic mm -hmm. type vibe. Mm -hmm. It doesn't sound like that on the playback. You know what it almost sounds like for me? It sounds like just off the top of my head, it sounds like, um, okay, it sounds like I'm sitting in a room and somebody's behind a glass and they're talking to me and I yeah. can hear them behind a glass. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think, I think you're still a little bit hot. So, so on that little dial next okay. to number one, the, the number one, no, that's the headphone right there. Uh huh. Turn that down just a, just a smidge to the left. Yeah. Okay. Just a skosh. How's that right there? That's good. Just talk normal. Okay. That should be I good. am talking normal. All right. I'm going to turn this back up. Okay. I think we're good now. This is all through GarageBand right here? Yeah. This is just GarageBand. That's all it is. Mm -hmm. You just have to set it up to record two inputs and uh, tell it <coughs> like down here. Yep. I'm telling it. This one, your Julian, your yep. track yep. is set to number one okay and then if you look at mine it's set yep, to number yep, two yep 
It's pretty simple, yep. actually. Excellent. Yeah. Now, let's say you're going to play like a YouTube video on your laptop. Will it play the audio from there into this? You know, there's a way to do that, and I actually did it. Huh? Um, I had a couple episodes where we were um, we were watching videos and talking about it at the same time. You cheers. know, that's out. Cheers. This Salud. is drinking baby's blood. Yeah. <laughs> Starting off. We're getting this thing cracking. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can you can do it that way. Um, but I think I have to... I can't remember how I did it. It's been years ago. But, you know, all I would need is another channel, too. Yeah. And I could just run it directly from there. But um, when you start getting into integrating all of that audio into another track, you almost need another computer. Mm. Because you, you just... The, the machine can do it, especially a Mac. Yeah. But the audio becomes an issue because mm -hmm. you're routing all that audio to different destinations and yeah. it just kind of becomes a little bit of a mess. And you did 80 episodes. What were your episodes? Um, what? Oh, they heard that for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, you, everything. They're going to hear my farts and everything They're too, huh? Everything. You know, on that podcast that I did with Shannon, uh -huh. I was I, there. I had coughed a few times and I farted <laughs> when I coughed. And I looked at him and I'm like, did he hear that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you heard it, but I felt it for sure. I like threw a cough out there and then there was a fart on accident. I'm like, golly. Uh, okay. I'm okay. We just tested the audio a little bit just to make sure we we're good. It sounds nah, he started talking about conspiracy theories. And so we had to cut that out. <laughs> yeah. It was like a whole hour that we talked about <laughs> conspiracy theories. Oh, y'all. Oh, just wait till I do the next episode. I'm going to leak everything. You're done for Bobby. Okay. So, um, <laughs> I was telling you before we started, just because I'm running the sound doesn't mean that I'm you, like this is your your baby. So we're just talking. Go. We're just hanging out. What is this book you got here? This is Jesus's Bible. No, that's my journal, man. Wow. And you write in this all the time, huh? Most every day. Um, hey. Ooh, more is desserts. Cake. This is Julian. Julian, this is, uh, you know him, but this is Callie. Callie? Nice yeah. to meet you. Y'all can hang out in here. Just don't slam anything. or We're doing a very important podcast. Basically we like that, that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you need a borrow? That. How'd you do that? Okay, have, I'm not going to worry about we it. We got though. hundreds of listeners right now, live and direct. We literally have ones of listeners. <laughs> No, we're not live, but it's going to go live tomorrow. Whatever's on this is going to be live. Is it technically live if you're not doing it anymore? He's, it's his podcast. It's my podcast. No, like, like, like live. Like, everything alive. Like, it's not like live. It's, it's, it's not in the moment. Like, it's your stream. No, it's yeah. pre-recorded. Pre yeah, it's pre-recorded. Yeah. It's, but, un, it's un, 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 yep, unedited. Unedited. Unadulterated. That's right. That's what I was trying People to say. People are getting the live and direct Julian and Bobby right here. There you go. Um... Yeah, this is my journal, and I try to write in it. If I'm not writing on the computer, I'm writing in this. You found that in the backyard? You dug it up? Yeah, I dug it up. Um, how would you How would you get something like that? Do they sell those that are like, they look worn and the paper's this, all like that? There's this chick, and uh -huh. she's currently on a plane about to land in Boston. Oh, oh I've she heard of her. She bought it for me. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Jerusalem. It, that's what it looks like. Everybody thinks it's a Bible. I sat down yeah. at a restaurant one day and this guy was like, I've known him for years. I was in Fredericksburg and he goes, 
oh, and you brought your Bible. And I said, it's not a Bible. How, I said, how, it probably should be. How much, how much space do you have left in that thing? Oh, I think I'm only a third of the way through it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is that your second one, though? It's my third. Oh, wow. And the other two were just like that? Well, they're not just like this. They're, they're all a little bit different. Okay. But similar, they look like... Leather bound. Like you put it in the washer? and. You, well, yeah. It's it, The way I look at it, it's like I want something that is meaningful to yeah. write in, not yeah. just like a spiral, because who cares about that? Uh-huh. But if you have something meaningful... If you carry it around with you, you're gonna pick it up and you're yeah. gonna write in it. Yeah. And I've put so many ideas in these journals. Like so much so much of my novel novels goes into the journal first. How often do you get just like spur of the moment ideas that come to you um, when you are going through the process of putting your novel together, where whether it was driving, taking a shit sleeping where you just either had to pull over to put these thoughts down or get up in the middle of the night and just write how often did that happen all of the above happened all the time like mm. all the time um the notes function in the phone yep is and the fact that i can dictate my note straight in, i can be driving and just press that button and while i'm driving i'm recording my thoughts yep yep and then i'll play them back later when i'm sitting in front of the computer and i'll type out what i liked and i'll just trash what i didn't like mm -hmm. um that thing right there i think we might have talked about this maybe we didn't i don't know but that whole idea of you wake up and you have something and you think to yourself i'll write it down when i get up mm -hmm. you, that doesn't work mm-hmm it never works. If you don't write it down right then it's and gone. there, it's gone. Yeah. And because your mind is at such peace when you're asleep, you know, there's just this clarity that you have. And um, if you don't write stuff down when you have that clarity and you think you're going to get up in the morning when the whole world's coming at you, mm -hmm. forget it, buddy. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, all of those things, um, there, there have been times where I've sat up in bed and, and, put a note in my phone real quick or I've gotten up early in the morning, mm -hmm. <laughs> excuse me, made a cup of coffee and started putting notes in the computer or notes in the journal or whatever. Um, and I would say that I think a lot of writers do this. Uh, most of my ideas are generated when I'm not sitting at the computer. Yep. Especially when I'm like fine, like this novel that's done now when I'm fine tuning it, um, Right now, it's in an edit. It's in its final edit. It's done, though. Like Everything that's going to be written is written unless there's a problem that is spotted. Um, but when I'm fine-tuning it, like I'm getting ideas while I'm... Like the other day, I did five miles by myself, and I was listening to a podcast for the first two, and then I turned it off, and I was just thinking about my book, and I was like, okay, what have I not thought of? You know, what do I need to... Is there anything else that I need to fix in this last edit? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, all the above. Speaking of which, what is the book going to be called? Okay. So I had called, I'm kind of reluctant to say because, um, I had a name. Okay. And the name Sunny Day Breach is a, spe a specific term of art for something that happens during the novel. Sunny Day Breach. Yes. It's, it doesn't sound very intimidating or tough. But if you knew what it was, you'd be like, oh, shit. 
but most people, they're not going to identify what it is. And so one of my beta readers, uh, he's an engineer and he's a, he's a published author. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he said, I think you need a title that's going to hit your readers over the head, something that's going to make people impulse by the book. Mm-hmm. And so he suggested some names, but not, you know, not some names. He suggested an example, something like that. And I cogitated and thought about it and faith and I talked, talked about it ad nauseum and I ha- had so many different names written down and I would just stare at them. And I finally came up with one. Um, so this is a series. It's the Sierra justice series. She's the main character and she goes from like her character arc is going to go through the whole series. She goes from somebody who's got a lot of issues to kind of this badass and, um, throughout the series. Mm-hmm. And this first book is not only a thriller, but it's a look at her and how she realizes that she's got so much more potential mm-hmm. and in a lot of different ways. And so there's a very significant event that happens in this book. Yep. And um, you could say that this title, oh, well, you're, you're, giving, you're giving it away. But there, I can't remember the author that said it. He said, but if your reader doesn't know what's going to happen by the end of the first chapter, then you've already lost the reader. Like you need to have them, they need to know what's going on because they want to see it unfold. Mm-hmm. They want to be surprised. Mm-hmm. They want suspense. And my book has all of that. My beta readers have told me it's got all of that. But the title, um, I'm not going to give it away just yet. Okay, I'm going to keep that under my hat for a little Fine. bit longer because I think I'm in love with it, but... I'm not sure I want to take it on, you know, so it still, I'm not sure I want it to marry still change. it. I'm going for traditional publishing. What does that, what does that mean? Well, back in the day before the internet. Okay. Um, the only way, not the, I don't want to say it was the only way cause you could still self publish back then, but it was a lot more difficult. Um, the way to get published was to write a novel, perfect it till you were sick of it. And then find an agent who was willing to help you get published because publishers aren't going to talk to novelists who've never been published before. They're just not even going to waste their time, you know? So you have to have an agent who has, you send the agent a query letter and it's got a hook of your book. Maybe, maybe something about the research you did, maybe a blurb, a sentence or two about yourself. And then thank you for your time. That's it. And if that hook doesn't hook the agent, Mm -hmm you're going in the rejection stack, like you're done. And so um, before the internet, self-publishing was almost unheard of. I mean, people did it, but it wasn't like now. Mm-hmm. Now the market's flooded with self-publishers, you know? And same, it's like just like music. Back in the day, you had to go to a recording studio and you had to pay thousands of dollars yeah. to get a good recording. You can do that shit, that stuff at home now. Or like we're doing that shit right here <laughs> in your kitchen. Um, yeah, and it's and we just heard it. We just listened to it. It's studio quality sound. Yeah, you yeah, know we yeah. don't have any pillows in the in the corners. We don't have any sound baffles. We don't need them. We don't need them. So it's the same thing with writing. The market is saturated with people who want to be writers and people who are writers. And um, when you start doing something like this, it's it's up to the mob to decide. Did you hear that uh, that rodeo cowboy that was on Rogan not too long ago? Mm. He said it so well, like it was so articulate. He said, once upon a time to do anything in this world, you had to go sit and pitch your ideas to a bunch of white hairs. 
Uh-huh. Now you can put it on the internet and let the mob decide if you have any talent. Yeah, that's true. And so there's a lot of people that self-publish. They write a book. Yeah. And they put it on Amazon and they get social media and they try to get people to buy their book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, traditional publishing, for me, it's just a goal mm. I've had my whole life is to for a publishing house to talk to an agent, see my idea, see my manuscript and say, okay, we want to invest in this guy. I see. You still have to try to sell your book even yeah. if you're traditionally published. Like the marketing is not, it's not like, oh, I'm traditionally published and I don't have to worry about anything anymore. Your publisher is probably not going to work that hard to sell your book. Uh-huh. You have to do the work. Yep. So it's it's still an investment. The work really starts once your manuscript is done. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a long process. But once you're published and once you've got two or three out there and people are buying your books, then it's a lot easier. Yeah. I'm just not there yet because I waited until I was 45 years old to start this process. Yeah. You started you know? though. Yeah. I mean, I, I had my law career and, and then started, but um, this, this process now is uh, almost to the point where it's going to be out of my hands because I'm going to send out these query letters with, it's a synopsis to like, I had to take my books, 99,000 words. Now I had to take that and put it into a thousand word synopsis, two pages. And then I had to put it into a 250 word hook for the query letter. So these things go out and then they'll say, okay, send us your manuscript if they're interested. And then they still have to look at your manuscript and decide, okay, yeah, we like it. One good thing I heard um, from some, some people that are in the industry is that the market might be saturated, but it's full of people. I mean, you've seen American Idol. People think they can sing. Uh-huh, they think they can write. They think they can write. And I'm not trying to insult anybody, but they'll get a hundred manuscripts and there might be eight mm-hmm. where the writer actually could follow directions. The writer is a good writer. Mm-hmm. The writer knows grammar, basic grammar. Uh-huh. And the writer has a good idea. Uh, they get a lot where the, the ideas are not good. The person submits a manuscript and doesn't follow instructions with their query letter. So they are, they're just, they're not, they don't even look at it. If you can't follow directions, you're out. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the rejections are that they're just kind of the, the fluff that they have to filter through. So I feel pretty good about it. I mean, I've got an English degree. It, my minor uh, or my major was in English and my emphasis in English was creative writing. So I have the education and then I've, I've been writing, even though I haven't been writing professionally, I've been writing since I was in the fourth grade. I've seen that book right there. I can, I can tell you, right. <laughs> but um, it's just, it's persistence. And I, I posted a while back, you can have talent, but if you don't have persistence and drive to mm-hmm. forget it, mm-hmm. because at, there's so many people out there that are talented. Mm-hmm. You just have to be willing to face rejection after rejection after rejection, because you could have an awesome query letter you can have an awesome synopsis a great hook a terrific manuscript but maybe that's not what they're looking for right now so they reject you but the next publisher you send it to or the next agent you send it to you might have exactly what they're looking for yeah so it's just it's it's just a chore hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. yeah exactly exactly so you sent out your quarry letters no they're done it's done uh it's been done for about a week i'm going to go back to it and I'm going to um, look at it again okay. because you can't write something and immediately send it out. That's that's folly. That's a mistake as a writer. You have to write something and get 
the hell away from it. Do some other stuff, work on some other projects, clear your mind, and then go back. And uh, the coolest thing in the world is when I go back and I'm like, I was working on a novel. I sent out my first beta read in June. Mm -hmm. I started the second novel and did about seven or eight chapters of it. And then I got my beta reader feedback and I had a lot of work to do. I spent another six months on the manuscript, fleshing characters out, developing things more. Then I sent out for another beta read in December and I've spent the last six, eight weeks even perfecting it more, fleshing it out more, tying up threads, making sure things were clear. I'm, I'm the kind of writer that likes to make the reader work a little bit, mm -hmm. and I was making the reader work a little too hard. And so I got had some kick-ass beta readers who really helped me say, I see what you're doing, and I know where you're going, and I like it, but I think you need to add a little more clarity here just so it's not as, the reader's not working as hard. Mm-hmm. So going back to what I was saying, I went back uh, last weekend and started reading the novel that I started in June. And I couldn't even remember some of the stuff I wrote. The and second piece. Yeah. I was reading stuff and I, it was like somebody else wrote it. And I was like, man, I like this. Oh, I don't remember writing that at oh. all. Where was I? Where was I in my mind at the time? But I liked it. And so. Um, That's a good sign. Yeah. Yeah. So. um I don't, I don't remember the question you asked me that got me on that tangent, but I don't remember either. Yeah. But anyways, um, <laughs> it, I don't know. I think, you know, I've talked about writing novels for two decades, but I've always, I've been raising kids and, and, and doing stuff and <clears throat> now I'm doing it and it's just such a fun process. It is hard work. I'm getting like yesterday, day before I had my, I had multiple migraines both days because I'm doing my full-time job, taking care of my family and then in the free time I have, I'm sitting down and I'm staring at a screen and yeah. I'm writing and I'm thinking and my, when I'm driving, I'm writing and I'm thinking, and then my brain is just like fried, but I love it. I absolutely love writing. Mm -hmm. I just, I, and, and I have to, I've posted about that before. If, if, there, if there's a day that goes by and I don't write, it's like a day where you don't work out. Yeah. You just yeah. feel like shit. Yep. And things aren't right in your world because you didn't do your passion that day. Mm -hmm. And I've learned that about myself over the last two years. You know, it's interesting. A lot of times we have our passions and it takes effort to get started. Not, mm -hmm. not in the sense of get started for the first time, but just to go out and do it. And you go out and do it and you like, you're a few minutes in and you're like, damn, I'm really glad I did this. Even if you, it's something that you talk about that you love, you know, I love fishing. But the effort to get all the gear together to drive to wherever I'm going to fish is a lot of effort. But every time I get out there, I'm like, gosh, I need to do this more often. And I'm so glad that I put in that little effort to get out there, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a, a really good quote by, T, I think it's T.S. Eliot. I'm pretty sure. Is that and an author? He was a poet. Okay. And, and this has probably been quoted all over the place. So I want to make sure I, I get it right. But he said, and at the end of all our adventuring, we will come back to the place where we started and know the place for the first time. And, and that is like, I have learned that with writing this novel and spending almost two years on it now. That's like, oh, now I finally understand what it's like to sit down and start this thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I've seen it. Um, and I've seen every angle of it now up to the point where I'm querying. 
and it's uh it's beautiful that was my question did you send out those letters those query letters not yet, yet. you haven't no I, I like i said i wanted to i wrote it a week ago and i'm gonna go back to it um probably tomorrow after work uh, after the gym uh, i'll take a look at it and uh fine tune it and then give it another couple of days before I even, cause I, I'm still, the, the, the manuscript is still being edited. It's in its final edit. Yeah, It can't go, like you can't query. There are people that query. Until it's ready, huh? Yeah, but there are people that query and then the agent comes right back and says, okay, I wanna see your manuscript and it's not done. Mm. And you can lose. You just shot yourself in the foot. You, yeah, you just effed up. And yeah. so I didn't wanna be that guy. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I. I do everything as good as I can do it. Yeah. And as professional. Well. Yeah, as, as well. As you know. well as you can yeah, do it. Yeah, the English Mr. major Bobby. just said good. Yeah. Yeah, I do it as well as I can do it, and that's um, the Texan coming out in me. You know? <laughs> I'm watching you. In Texas, we say good. We don't I'm say well. You. I'm listening. Um, but, yeah, it's like um, uh, you just you can do something half-assed, and you're going to get a half-assed result. Or you can buckle down and commit to all that time and all that tedium and just over and like i've i don't know how many times i've read my novel now i really don't know how many times i mean it's dozens mm -hmm. of full reads all the way through um and and i'm sick of it <laughs> i'm sick of my own work i'm just i'm absolutely tired of it and um uh, i'm just ready for it to go out but i know that i can't jump any gun in this process so how much time until the final ed final edit is complete um i'm thinking probably another week how many beta readers did you have the first time i got beta reader feedback from five and this last time i got beta read feedback from uh six were they all authors no uh, not all of them. Um, one of them is, is is a beta reader. She reads like 300 books a year and Holy she beta shit. reads for a, a well-published author. Okay. Um, and she gave me the most critical review. Uh, it was one of those things where I read her, 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 her notes and then I had a phone call with her and got off of it. And <clears throat> it was a Friday and I had court all day and I talked to her on the way home um, from court. And uh, I got home and I was just kind of like devastated. I was like, oh my God, like it, it, I have so much more work to do. And then um, I talked to somebody else the next day and it was more of that. <coughs> and it kind of puts you kind of like in the dumps a little bit. Um, but at the same time they were being critical, one of them said, I think that you have the potential to be wildly successful with this. And so I'm, I want you to be successful. So. I'm going to be very tough on you because I want to see you succeed. And I think you can. So that was good to hear too, you know, and then <clears throat> there's a lot of uh, military action, um, special forces. Uh, one of my characters is a, is a, is a former green beret. One okay. of the, there's four points of view. And uh, at first he was a seal. And then I was like, everybody does that. The green berets don't get enough attention. And I managed to make a contact because there's helicopters in it too. And so I had a helicopter pilot who actually flew for XM1, which is the the president's helicopter. Um, there's a, uh, he showed me a picture. He's sitting in the pilot seat and Trump is getting out of the helicopter. 
So this guy's done it all. He was uh, oh, so these characters are based off of real people. They're ba- no, they're based off of um, real professions. Okay, and real people's trauma and real people's lives. Um, from like, you know what a composite character is? I do not. A composite character, like when uh, that movie came out about the bombing of the um, Boston Marathon. Uh-huh. One of the main characters in that movie is a composite character, and he's made up of several people, several real people. And they, to write the screenplay to where it would fit in an hour and a half, they made all those characters into one person. Okay. A lot of times, what writers do is they create fictional characters mm-hmm. based off of the experiences of real people, not actual people. So, my characters are based off of the experiences of real people, but I managed to. This guy was like, hey, my wife's cousin is a Green Beret. He was a medic for the Green Berets, and now he's a doctor, and uh, he might be interested in helping you, and he did. He read my book. Wow. So uh, the stuff in there that deals with firearms, the stuff in there that deals with Green Berets and PTSD from the stuff that they did, that's all been looked at by real people who did those jobs and were, hey, maybe make this happen or I don't know if this would be entirely accurate. You might want to change it to this or, Hey, that's exactly how I felt in that situation. Um, so I had, uh, and I had women, my main character is a woman. So I had women read this uh-huh. and I told them, tell me if this is like, I want to write a woman who's believable. So tell me if I did. And, uh, I got a lot of good feedback on that. Good. good so, good. um, yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> You said about you said about one more week until the final edit. You said, yeah, it'll be done in about a week. And then you'll you think you're going to send the queries out right then and there? I think I think that that will give me the time not only to um, have that edit done, but also to uh, sit on that query letter long enough to where I I got away from it long enough and and I feel like it's ready to go. The synopsis is ready to go, and I've got every tool in my arsenal to start querying. And how many publishers are you going to send to? Well, I send it to agents first. Okay. Until one of them says yes. And um, so, how many agents are you planning to send it to? Uh, as many as it takes. And they have connections to the publishing housing that houses? Really, that's the only way to get to the publishing houses. Oh, as a new agents. Mm-hmm. Interesting. <clears throat> and what are some of them? Like Penguin, Penguin House is one of them, right? Yeah, that's one. I mean, there's. there's <coughs> so, Here's the thing I, I'm I'm going to be very open-minded about. There's the big four, you know, publishers, but uh, there's a lot of little publishers out there who are looking for authors who have good ideas but are small time. Yeah, and um, there have been like John Grisham's book, A Time to Kill, his first book, which was turned into a movie and it was wildly successful, uh, was published by a very small publisher, and they only published like five thousand copies. And then the thing took off, you know? Um, so I'm not going to be closed minded about who says yes to me. Yeah. You know, if I've got two or three options to pick from, which would be a dream, um, it just because one of them might be the biggest one. It doesn't mean that's the one I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with the best deal I can get too. Just give my boy a chance. That's right, man. Anybody listen to this who knows anybody who publishes books, just give my boy a chance. Let him show you what he's got. I got I got a lot to offer. He's got a lot. Trust me, <laughs> he's got a lot. But you know, I'm also if I if I if I'm blessed 
for somebody to come back and say, hey, let's talk. Um, I, w- I want to make sure they understand that I- I'm, I'm not going to be a one-hit wonder. That's, yeah. I'm, if you team up with me, you're teaming up with somebody who has been wanting to do this for two decades, but just had to raise the family and practice law for two decades, and then just didn't have anything left at the end of the day. Um, to somebody who is like, there's such a fire lit in me that it does, there's no amount of no's that's going to make me stop. Yeah. And I've got so many ideas. Like I've got, I've got so many ideas just for this series, the Sierra justice series, but um, I've got three other novels I've already started and, and I don't want to put pulp out there. You know, I don't want to put shit that nobody's going to read in 10 years. I want people to be reading my books 25 years from now. Yeah. And that's the kind of work I put into it, you know, and I'm not trying to like, you know, bolster myself or blow myself up. I just know that that's what I'm going to do. This is important to you. This is a passion. Absolutely. This isn't just a hobby. No. And, and I'm, I'm in a situation where my wife and I have five children and I want those children to, um, I, I want to be able to do things for them their whole lives. I, I, I'm not yeah. going to, you know, it's not a free ride. Yeah. But I want something in addition to my full-time job that creates income to where I'm able to help them. Generational. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I want to do. And um, I look at successful people and whatever they're doing. And I realize, okay, they had talent, but they had drive. Yeah where other people go home and watch TV all evening, they went home and worked, Yeah, you know? And they didn't quit, and that's who I am. Yeah. And so, um, there's no plan B on this, you know? There isn't. It's, I'm gonna be a successful published author, and yeah. that's all there is to it. Fuck yeah. Yeah. I got me, that got me pumped. Well, it, I, I get pumped about it every day. There's, yeah. there's motivational videos and things that I listen to every day on the way to work. Just to remind me, okay, things suck today like today was a hard day i had a lot going on this morning but you can't stop yeah there's there's no there's no stopping you know you can't let life get you down you've read um steven pressfield's turning pro okay so we talked about this last time i've read the 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 art of war yeah Mm -hmm. or the war of art the war of art and we talked about turning pro i try to read right now but i am so focused on this novel yeah and 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 the work the works that i've already started so that i keep going yeah excuse me that i find i check out books from the library and i get a quarter of the way into them and they're due back you still check out books yeah what a nerd i am a nerd i'm on the the library foundation (laughs) board i'm a board member for the library dude i love to hear it Uh, somebody's got to keep the library alive they're important (sighs) it's a whole nother topic but if you don't have literacy in your society, yeah. you have nothing. Yep. Because if you can't go back and read what happened in history, mm-hmm. I know videos are out there and most people watch videos now, but I'm sorry, that doesn't compare to literacy. Yeah. A literate person is so more dangerous, so much more dangerous than somebody who just watches videos all day long. For sure. Especially when it comes to knowing history and understanding the mistakes that were made in the past and not repeating those mistakes. And that's why I think we're repeating a lot of mistakes in Very society so, yeah. because people don't read anymore. Yep. And I, I'm not going to let that stop me. Yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm a big proponent of literacy. So I'm on the library board and I, <laughs> I, I help 
uh, with that kind of stuff with our local library. And um, I just, I don't know. I, I think it's a wonderful thing. I love to hear it. I think it's a wonderful thing of you to do. Yeah. Thanks. So so you're going the traditional route to get published, you said? The first time at least. So, so obviously the goal is to get published, but at what point are you going to start just getting the books printed yourself? Because here's the thing. When it's cost effective. Mm. When I've got name recognition. I see. Because when you, here's the thing about traditional publishing. It's almost kind of like if you can get traditional published a few times, it's almost kind of like a, a, a validation. Gotcha. Okay. This guy was, he's obviously good enough for publishing companies to invest in him uh-huh. or her, uh-huh. but they take a big chunk of your profits. Your profit margin as a published traditionally published author is so much lower than if you're self-published, if you're self-published, you're taking a hundred percent of whatever, um, income you generate and then whatever costs you have, you know, that's the profit that you have left, but you get a hundred percent of that profit, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, whatever the net is, that's 100% yours as a self-published author, as a traditionally published author, you're getting 20 to 30% of your net. And so that that's the trade off for, for getting traditionally published, but traditionally published, they cover <laughs> the costs of getting all the prints. They, done they pay for everything, but yeah. they, these days, um, traditionally published authors are still doing a lot of their own marketing. So, you know? so you're going to have to do book signing. Absolutely. And I can't wait. I love it. I'm excited. I'm going to be there. No, I'll, you know, I, I'm the, I'm the guy that will 100% load a box of my books up and go to every bookstore I can and sit there on the weekend and try to sell my books. Like oh, I'll do it. You're that guy. <laughs> I'm that guy. I'm the guy who's going to be in there telling random people, have you, have you heard of this guy? I just met him today. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> He's did unbelievable. You, did you see that story about that guy? I don't know how much it helped him, but there was this guy who had, you know, written his own books and he was out there. Um, I mean, published his own books and he was out at some bookstore uh, trying to sell them. And this kid walked up and filmed him and said, what are you doing? And that video went viral. And he sold out. He became a bestseller overnight. I heard about this. And this guy has, has written books for a, t- a long time, right? Yeah. I heard about this. Persistence. Yeah. Drive. Yeah. Because one day, the day, you know, the one day you're going to, you're going to hit the right spot. You're, yeah. you're just going to be where you needed to be. And it took all of that work to get there. Yeah. There's no shortcut. Mm-hmm. There just isn't, there's no shortcuts. And Stephen King, his first book, Carrie was rejected 27 times. I heard about that. <clears throat> um, I think Grisham was rejected. It was, it was like 20 or 30, maybe even 40 times on a time to kill. Um, you know, JK Rowling was rejected multiple times. I want to say it was in the twenties. Yeah. And she's a billionaire now, you know, uh, it just, it just takes drive. You got to have talent. Yeah. And, and, you know, I didn't know for the longest time I felt like I had talent, but it wasn't until I had beta readers who were well-read people come back and say, okay, you, 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 you can do this. Yeah. That made me kind of, that was my kind my kind of validation to say, okay, this is worth my putting my time into, you know, with your beta readers, <clears throat> were any of them, were you sure to, to, the beta readers that you chose, were you sure to make sure that they were either well-read or 
authors themselves or did you have any beta readers who were just the average Joe? Both. I wanted both. Um, I wanted people who were well-read and very critical and well-educated. I wanted people who were published and I wanted people who would be the same person that would go buy my book off the shelf. Now, here's my question. With the average Joe's, was it harder for you to take criticism from them versus somebody who had a little bit of experience in the writing world? No, because the way I looked at it was the critical readers, those are the people that are going to help me develop my book. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, all the greats use beta readers. Stephen King uses beta readers. Everybody yeah. does it because it takes a village. You, you can't. You can't think that you can create something and you can just refine it all by yourself and then put it out there and it's going to be perfect. Yeah. Life doesn't work that way. There's no profession where, I mean, look at Michael Jordan, uh, his trainer that wrote that book, um, Tim, uh, Book Relentless, um, Tim something, I can't remember his last name. I mean, he was Michael Jordan's biggest critic. Michael Jordan credits him with so much of his success because he never blew smoke up his ass. He yeah. would tell him, hey, you're being a little B today. Yeah. You know, what's wrong with you? You could say it. Well, Bitch. I know I can say it on this podcast, but because I'm a judge, I'm just careful about. He said you're <laughs> <laughs> um, I wish I could remember. Tim Grover. Is his name? Yeah. And uh, he was what to Michael Jordan? He was his trainer. Okay. Tim Grover is a very successful trainer of lots of very famous athletes, but he was Michael Jordan's trainer. See, but the thing is, okay. I know that this is an ego issue and I talked about this on the last podcast we did yeah. where I've been told by people who listen and say, you need to have a topic. You need to have a direction. You can't just do these podcasts and just talk about whatever. Why not? Exactly. So it's, it's like, I know my ego gets in the way, but I've been like, it's my podcast. If you want to go with a topic, go with a topic and go make your own. But I know that that's my ego. So <coughs> look at look at Joe Rogan experience, JRE. Yeah, one of the biggest, yeah. The the only kind of topic that he has for each episode is whatever the guest is doing. Yeah. But if you've listened to enough of his episodes, and I've been listening to them since 2017, so I've heard a lot of them, uh, they talk about whatever that person is doing for about 10 minutes. And then it goes to whatever. And then it goes to whatever. Yeah. And so... You know, Joe was famous before he started his podcast. So the second he started it, you know, yeah, I know they started it from scratch and they didn't have that many listeners, but it took off because of name recognition. For sure. And then he did the right thing, which was he didn't, it wasn't overproduced. It's raw. Uh, they, he was just talking about this the other day with um, this guy. He's a uh, Brett Weinstein, he's a um, evolutionary type. Uh, he studies society. I can't remember what his, but what, what he said was, what's so good about this podcast is that you don't, it's not overproduced. You don't have a team of people working on it. It's you and Jamie. Yeah. And so it's it's raw and it's real. Yep. And I, I'm, that's how I did my podcast. I didn't have anybody helping me. It yeah. was just me. Yeah. And so I'm, I fully back you up. You know, if, if you wanted to, like, for instance, this one. This is the second podcast I've done with you, and we talk about my book for a little bit, but we'll last, talk about other things. Last time we talked about all kinds of stuff. Oh yeah, you know, and so I think that that format is um, the long conversation format is what they call it. Yeah, 
that is the best way to disseminate information. Yeah. You know, so uh, I don't know that your ego is getting in the way as much as just you've watched what successful people have done. And you're like, that's what I've done as an author. Yeah. Oh, so this is how people have succeeded doing this. Well, I'm going to do what they did because I'm not a dumbass. I'm not a, a maverick. I realized that uh, there's a system that works. And so why would I want to recreate that? Yeah. You know, but it's more of my ego in terms of my reaction. Like rather than just saying, okay, I'll take that into account. My reaction is I don't want to do that. If you want to do that, go make your own, you know? Yeah. So I could just be nice. Right. But then it's also like, don't tell me how to do what I'm trying to do, yeah. you know? But yeah, I, I was you know just, what? do me a favor. Just pull that a little bit further away. Okay. Because you have a really good projection projecting okay. voice. So this uh, is okay right here. Right there. Okay. There. excellent yeah because yeah. your your voice projects really well and that is a hot mic i'm loud I, I'm, I'm loud I'm okay loud. well i'm loud too so we'll be loud together yeah but um yeah uh i think okay so ego is one of those things it's a double-edged sword because having an ego gets you places it gets you places it you just have to be able to rein it in yes very much so, yes. Um, and I think that reining it in is something that comes with time spent and, and, and age and wisdom and experience. Because when, I know when I was younger, I, I, I probably wasn't as likable as a person as I am now because I've just kind of learned, <clears throat> okay, I'm confident, but I'm not arrogant. There's a difference. Um, there's a big difference. Very much so, yeah. Um, believing in yourself and being confident and knowing what you want is a very, to me, valued virtue and skill. Um, being able to temper that and know what your limits are is, is crucial. Um, if you are just constantly thinking you're the bee's knees and, and you're just better than everybody else at everything, <clears throat> people are going to see right through that. Yeah. And uh, you're not going to be successful now. Okay. I know we talked about him last time, but let's look at Ewan McGregor, not Ewan McGregor, um, uh, Conor McGregor. Yeah. Uh, Ewan McGregor too. I mean, they're both Englishmen that are very successful. Oh, who's the other guy? Uh, the guy, Ewan McGregor, the guy from train spotting. And, uh, he played, uh, Anakin in the star Wars remake. Okay. Never heard of him. God dang it. He did the long way Sorry around. I wasn't born in the sixties. It, those movies came out in the seventies and the eighties and the nineties. I still wasn't born. Um, he did the it, the long way around. The two guys that rode motorcycles around the world. Never heard of it. You would love that doc. All right, it's a documentary. It's a ten part series where he and his buddy were like, "We're going to ride motorcycles around the world," and they went through the water. Well, they went on a ship across the water, <laughs> uh, but they like they went from Russia to Alaska. Wow. And then they went all the way down and, and over. And, and they made it into a documentary? Yeah, a 10-part series. Okay. It's really good. And then they did Long Way Down. I know we talked about this last time, so sorry, listeners, if you're hearing this for the second time, but um, Long Way Down, they went all the way to the bottom, the Horn of Africa. Wow. From the top. All on motorcycles. motorcycles. That's wicked. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But anyways. Adventure biking. Conor McGregor. Uh, Conor McGregor, there's a lot of people that will say his ego is not in check at all. And he's still... Like he is a billionaire and he's not even in his forties yet. Uh -huh. So I don't think that you can um, put everybody with a big ego in a box and say, they're not going to be successful. I think for most people having an unchecked ego is probably uh, 
a negative, but he's got so much talent to back up what he does that it worked for him. You know, um, I mean, I know now uh, he's got an injury and, 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 but he just came out in roadhouse. I mean, he just made a, a movie that's probably pure popcorn, pure cheese remake, but everybody's going to go see it and he's going to make a shitload of money doing it. I'm going to counter what you're saying. Please do. I think most people who are wildly successful have an ego, yeah. a big one that they don't know how to control. But the problem is, is they end up downfalling. Yeah. Like <clears throat> you, you see, there's a difference between somebody who reaches this pinnacle level with a ego that's under control. And then they begin to go over the hill and they're on the downside, but people still love them. Yeah. Where when you have such a huge ego and it's out of control, people love you when you're on the way up. But the second you start to fall, they recognize the ego and they say, I, I don't like that guy. Yeah. That's, that's the thing with Conor McGregor. If he was humble in defeat, like he talks about him being, yeah, he's more likable when he loses. But the second he starts to lose and his ego's so big, you want him to lose. You know what I mean? Yeah, you stop rooting for him. Yeah, exactly. You stop rooting for him because you feel like, oh, come on, guy. Yeah. You know, enough is enough. Um, I, I feel like I am blessed in the sense that I've got the drive. I've, I've been told I have the talent. Uh, I'm not saying I have the talent because I, I believe in myself, but other people have told me, okay, yeah. you're talented. You're a good writer. Uh, that's not me saying that. I would never do that. I would never say I was talented as a writer until I heard other people say, hey, you, you're good at this. Um, but no matter how successful I ever be, I've got five children and I've got a wife, a woman that I've been with for almost 30 years. That stuff is just as important to me. And I'm never going to do anything um, to wreck that or uh -huh. damage that. And so that keeps any ego I may have in full check. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm yeah. a judge. Yeah. I can't be out there saying crazy stuff. Um, you know, even my writing as a legal professional, um, there's just certain things that I'm not going to get into because I don't want, I, I want to continue being a judge, even yeah. if I'm as successful as a writer, because I'm serving the public and that's extremely important to me. That's a whole nother topic of why I do what I do. But, um, I would never do anything to jeopardize that. So you're not going to hear me like even the stuff I post on social media, there's nothing controversial. Yeah. Before I was a judge, there was, but I have a responsibility now to the public and I'm not going to go out there and say a bunch of stupid stuff. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not going to let my ego run wild. Yeah. So what? Well, okay. I got a question about your ego, but let me grab my drink. Hold on. Grab your drink. Sorry, that's loud. If that's loud on the mic, I won't. Well, you know, wooden chair, tile floor. What are you going to do? <laughs> Let me try to clear my throat before I do this. I got this lingering cough. It's well, annoying. you and I both just got over being sick. So. Yeah, the cavoidial. The cavoidial. All right. So when do you think you... Y'all heard that? That's that's crystal, isn't it? Crystal clear. Crystal clear. Yeah. Um, when do I think I'll what? When do you think you recognized that your e your ego was 
By the way, I'm feeling my head. There's starting to be pressure in my head, so I feel this alcohol that I'm drinking. <laughs> I just had to let you know how I was feeling. That hard soda. Yeah. Hey, day, hey, hey, I'm drinking whiskey over here. Yeah. yeah. I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. I'm not mad enough. Well, I got a glass for you. I'll try some after this. This is weak whiskey, by the way. <clears throat> what kind is it? It's like some cheap stuff. Uh, I don't. I, the good stuff, I don't drink when I have to think and talk. Oh, oh so he brought out the, the <laughs> cheap stuff when I came over. No, of I, course. I brought it out so that by the end of this podcast, we don't sound like complete and total <laughs> idiots. Um, so... <clears throat> When did you, at what age were you when you felt like you finally understood your ego, understood what it was, and worked on keeping it in check? My late 30s. Interesting. Yeah. Have you heard of Eckhart Tolle? Mm. I, I, I want to say maybe I've heard the name, but if I said I knew who it was, I'd be lying. So he, he has a couple really famous books, The Power of Now. Okay. And... Um, a new earth. And he talks about, <laughs> excuse me, the, the moment humans realize that they're human and not their ego yeah. is the moment that we begin to blossom into a new society. Yeah. And he talks about us moving in that direction, but I'm not sure that we ever will. <clears throat> I think, I think, uh, a very small portion of humanity will, but the mob controls. Um, I, I could go into so many examples, but I would come off as, um, I, I would come off sounding like an a-hole. Uh, so I don't want to do that, but I think that, most people who are thinkers and who are willing to not only um, examine themselves, but also to examine what society, like their local society, their regional, their state society, and their national society and their world is doing, like the people who are willing to examine that, I think they have that ability to think about what's best for everybody. But most people just don't do that. Yeah. They just don't. And, and that's just a fact of life. Um, most people just want to get whatever it is they want to get. And um, I, I, that's why I think that, that so many things in life, careers in life that are based on intellectualism, they're not that important to most people. Um, you look at NFL, look at how wildly successful that is. Mm -hmm. It's almost a national religion. Yeah. It owns Sunday. And when the Super Bowl's over and somebody gets the Lombardi trophy, it all starts over again. And it really, at the end of the day, it, it provides a lot of jobs and it generates a lot for the economy. There's, there's a lot to be said for that. But at the end of the day, um, it's not going to save society. Yeah. You know, and that's just one example. It actually makes society worse. There's a quote by somebody that said, give them a Coliseum and entertainment and we don't have to worry about them revolting. What was, what was the, the gladiatorial fights in exactly. ancient Rome? Yeah. That was, um, we'll, we'll give them blood 
and they'll love you for it. Yeah. That's the UFC. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I love the UFC and I played 11 years of football. I'm, I'm not down in this stuff, but I'm able to st- take a step back and say, okay, I love these things, but they're not going to save the world. Teachers are going to save the world. And they're underpaid. Wildly. Uh, wildly. Underpaid. Um, medical professionals, firefighters, police officers, the military. Yeah. That's who keeps us safe. And that's who saves us. When we're in trouble and, and they're not paid near enough. Yeah. But at, the, the thing is, and the reason I say that this is what most of humanity wants, the reason somebody can get paid a hundred million dollars to pay, to play four years of football is because people are willing to buy the tickets. Yeah. They're willing to pay $8,000 for a ticket to the Super Bowl. Yeah. You know, and, and that's just where our society has placed its importance. I'm not knocking it. I'm not putting it down. I'm just saying that's not going to save the world. I am. You fucking idiots. <laughs> Get your shit in line. Yeah. Stop paying so much money for well, people to play a sport. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, and, and, and a lot of the friends that I have, I, I know so many people who are just diehard sports fans, hockey, football, uh, basketball, you know, they just, it, they love, and, and, and I, and I, I think that's great because they have something in life that makes them happy. But again, it's not going to save you. Yeah. It's just going to cost you money. And like, I used to have the Sunday ticket. Okay. I wasted more time on Sunday, Monday night, Thursday night, and some Saturdays watching football that didn't do anything for me other than entertain me and make me fatter Yeah, and drunk. And when I got rid of that and I stopped following the NFL in 2017, I had so much more time on my hands. Yeah. I had so much more stuff to do. I was in better shape. I was happier. And now I've written a novel. There you go. I never would have written that novel if I still had the Sunday ticket. There's no way. Yeah. I can't tell you how many Sundays I've spent in front of the computer for 12 hours writing, editing, examining myself, criticizing myself. And that would know. have been all just football before. Yeah, it was. It, it's not that it would have been. It was. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I, I you know, like I said, I don't want to get up on a soapbox and 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 act like I'm you know grandiose because I'm not. But I do have that feeling about you know that that issue. But there are those people out there who it's very annoying to me that there are those people out there who take it so serious. They pretend or act like they're on the team. You know what I mean? <laughs> they say like we, we, yeah. we, and it's like, bitch, you're not on the team. Yeah, I was guilty of that at one point in time. Um, when I was an NFL fan, I was a very big Green Bay Packers fan. Uh-huh. And I lived and died by the Green Bay Packers uh, for uh, years. And I had that realization. You know, we were talking about what, at what point did I realize I needed to, you know, kind of rein things in. It was about the same time. Interesting. I stopped watching professional football. It was like, uh, there's better things to do with my time. There's better things to do with my life. And I like watching the game. You know what I can't stand? You don't you know you don't like the fans that say we I don't like the fact that it's when it's analyzed, like each play, it's talked about like it's life or death. Uh-huh. It's not. Yeah. It's not life or death. It's a game. Yeah. That's all it is. Yep. And and next year we're gonna do the whole thing over again. Yep. And then in 10 years, we're going to do that whole decade over again. And it, and the players switch teams and, and that's just one sport, you know? Um, 
but I, on the flip side, I, I don't want to go down as somebody who's, oh, we, we need sports because sports builds character. We need sports programs for youth because it keeps them out of trouble. It shows them how to be a team player. It shows them how to commit to something and be disciplined and be tough. And, and it keeps them in shape. So I'm a full supporter of high school, college, and professional sports. I, I support them. I just maybe don't agree with the economics of it. Gotcha. You know? Um, yeah. So that's, that's what I would go on record as saying is that maybe we could reevaluate how important we think the professional sports are in the grand scheme of life. Because, you know, and, and, I, and I, people probably hate hearing this, but the other night they passed a bill to send another, uh, I think it was $98 billion to Ukraine. I believe that the Ukrainians are fighting a good fight. So I'm not downing that. Um, but what would that $98 billion do for our inner city youth? The kids that can't read, the kids that have one mom who works around the clock, what would it do for them to take some of that money and build some infrastructure in their inner cities and give them resources that would help them have a chance at life? Yeah. You know, because a lot of the kids that come before me in court, they're low socioeconomic. They're, they're victims of generational trauma, generational child abuse and neglect. There's a lot of money out there that's spent on things that, that again, don't matter at the end of the day that could go towards people who just don't even have a chance to begin with. Um, and I'm not saying that people don't need to pull themselves up from them boost from their bootstraps when they have the opportunity because they should. And that's how I raise my children. It's not a free ride. You, you go to school, you pass your classes and you get out and you do something with your life. <clears throat> but there's a lot of kids out there who just, they don't even have that opportunity. Yeah. They don't have it. Yeah. And to sit here and talk about it like, Oh, well they just don't work hard enough or they didn't try hard enough. I'm sorry. They don't even have the opportunity to think about it, to think about it. Yeah. I've thought about that too. There are those people who I'm guilty of it too. And I've said it where people just need to work harder, but I come from a place of privilege and I recognize it where there are people who don't even have the opportunity to think about what's possible because they're so worried about their everyday life. They're so worried about when their next meal is going to come or if they're parents coming home tonight or if they're going to sleep alone or mm -hmm. so they don't have time to think. Can I work harder? They don't. They're just worried about surviving. Well, one of the scariest periods for a lot of children in our country and around the world, but in our country, because we're Americans, so let's talk about America. Um, it's the summertime because they don't have school lunches. Mm. They don't eat. Yeah. They don't have a breakfast and they don't have a lunch and they might get a dinner. Yeah. They don't eat. Yeah. You know, and I know we both have, we're both aware of, of people who grew up in that environment and they became very successful because it, it made them fight, but not everybody's born with, with that yeah. ability. Yeah. You know, there are, there are people out there, they're human. They're just as important as me and you. They're just as important as, you know, Aaron Rodgers. They're, they're people, they're, they're, their worth is not any less, but they don't even have the opportunity. Yeah. It's just not there. And, um, that is a big deal for me you know that 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 is something that and i tell myself this all the time when i am successful that's that's where some of my money's gonna go you know when i'm done raising kids uh, you know some of my money already goes there there's already things that i put money into i'm not going to talk about what they are but you know i'm already giving money to people who don't have a chance and i can't wait to have the opportunity to give them a lot of it you know um 
I just think that that is something that we all need to have on the forefront of our minds as we go about our day is that not everybody has your opportunities. You know, something that I think about is going back to the topic of, um, you got to a point in your late thirties where you were able to self evaluate and self criticize and realize that you had an ego and that you wanted to learn how to put your ego in check or at least keep it in check. Yeah. I feel like I learned that probably in my mid twenties. Yeah. Um, but I think a big part of that was because I had the opportunity to do it. Yeah. Some people don't have that opportunity because they're worried about other things. Yeah. So, um, have you heard of, um, who was it? (laughs) Excuse me. You're excused. Who was it? Somebody, it was, I forgot the guy's name, but it was the hierarchy of needs. Yeah. Maslow. Yeah. That is, is, uh, that is good groundbreaking stuff and it's still used today. Yes. Where it's like you have your need for shelter, food, Uh water. Once you have that, then you have a like purpose and I don't, I don't remember the hierarchy, but I know that like on the top was after you get all those needs met, you have Mm self-reflection and that's when you can really make a change. Yeah. But we need to get people up the ladder to the point where they can sit, relax and actually think about who they are. There are people who never get that opportunity ever because they're so preoccupied with living day to day, paycheck to paycheck. They never get the opportunity to at least examine who they are, how they're acting towards other people Uh because everything else is flooding their brain. When my kids start bitching about things, I have two words for them. Mud huts. And if I talked about this the last time, I'm sorry, but you didn't, it it lives in my mind. Uh, I think the last time I checked, the number was almost 2 billion people out of eight live in some form of mud hut or, or house that's built out of earthen materials, straw sticks, and they don't have electricity and they have to walk miles for fresh water. And sometimes the water's not even fresh. And it's like, I tell my kids, you live in an affluent society. You have good, clean water, good, clean food, a good, clean bed, a, a warm house in the winter and a cool house in the summer. Your parents have provided you with transportation. You get to go to good schools. You have the opportunity to do anything you want in this world. And other people are living in mud huts. Yeah. And they're never going to see like 2% of the world holds all the wealth. What's up? Can I try one of those? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. That um, was my mom before she came here. Yeah. In Cambodia. Really? Yeah, she doesn't she doesn't put up with shit. She shouldn't. Yeah, she doesn't. <laughs> She's she got doesn't. you for a son. Oh. She shouldn't she shouldn't put up with anything. Hell no. <laughs> Whenever we tell her things, it's you don't know what it was like to walk over dead bodies in Cambodia. Well, that's real shit. Yeah. Yeah. Her brother died. Oh. Her brother died migrating here. Got sick died they were going through the jungles from cambodia to thailand mm. and he died so minuscule shit doesn't matter you know you, it, 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 it can get to you though like it's it would be um it would be ingenuine of us to deny the fact that you're born where you're born yeah 
if you're born into what we, you know, the woke proof, the woke movement calls privilege, I call it um, being blessed. If you're born into a situation where all these things that you, you mentioned on the hierarchy of needs are provided to you. And so you have the time to self-reflect. You're not worried about where your next meal is going to come from. Um, you didn't choose that. You That's were born true. into it. So you can't necessarily be faulted um, for reaping those benefits that you didn't choose. It's, it's when you get to the point, as you pointed out very astutely, that you have the ability to say, where am I and how bad off am I? And, you know, if you're constantly upset about things that um, are a product of, uh, what do they call it? Um, first world problems. There's a point where you need to realize that and you need to take a seat and say, I really don't have it that bad. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there are days where I'm like, oh my God, okay. Like our, our septic, you know, I'm having problems with it again. And that's like a cost. Uh, I blew out a tire last week and, and I had to get two new tires because two of my tires, they were, they were just too far gone. Um, you know, on my car, uh, my son's car that I gave him blew up and we had to get him a new car. Um, you know, work schedule, stuff like that. It can get to you. And that's just because that's the, that's the world we live in. That's, that's the, that's the environment we live in. And so it's not, it's not fair to say, oh, this stuff shouldn't bother you. And I don't think that's what you're saying at all. I'm just making the point that, um, you just have to be able to evaluate and say, but, but how hard do I really have it? Okay. Mm-hmm. So I, I've lost this money or um, I, I'm having to deal with this challenge or this person and I had a falling out or I didn't get to work out for a week because I had to go do this and this and that, or, you know, HEB's not selling the stuff I want at the price I want anymore. Okay. Yeah. That can add up, but it's really not that big of a deal. It's yeah. really not that bad. Yeah. Like, you know, take a, take a seat, (laughs) take a minute, take a time out, reflect a little bit. Absolutely. So let me ask you, this is more of a personal question and I want your advice for my own benefit. Okay. I'll see what I can offer. Okay. When I went through this phase of, I know I have an ego, Everybody does. Every single human being on earth has one. It's just there are different levels. And there's levels of recognizing it. Right. So I feel like I recognize it. I feel like I'm a very confident person. You are. And when I came to this point of understanding my ego and how it controls how I feel about certain situations, Mm -hmm. I began to realize that things weren't as important as I made them out to be. Yeah. And it got to the point where there were a lot of hills that I was not willing to die on anymore. Yeah. But I'm curious to know at what point does it become an issue? Because I don't, I'm not somebody, there are very, 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 very few things that I'm willing to argue with people about. Yeah. Very few. Yeah. Very few. And sometimes, I'm told by Sarah, Sarah, if you're listening to this, um, I'm just outing our conversations. There are some times where I'm told, argue a little bit, have a backbone, but there are so many little things that I don't give a shit, you yeah. know? 
And so I'm wondering, like, at what point is it a negative? I feel like there are certain things that I should care more about, but my ego, I'm just like, take a step back. It's not that important. Do you know what I mean? I know what you mean. Here's, here's, here's my immediate response to that. First thing is, and you always leave with a compliment. One thing I've noticed about you in the two years that I've known you is that um, I have seen you do things at the gym or hanging out in social environments. And then I've literally seen you sit by yourself in silence and then go back sometimes to me and say something like, Hey, I hope I didn't bother you oh, or, all the time. I hope I didn't, you know, and, and that to me is very, like, that's a lot of intellectual maturity, like, you know, um, and, and that's a great attribute to have. And it's one of the things I love about you is that you do a lot of self-reflection. I see it. And, um, that's why I'm willing to podcast with you because I know that you're like a legitimate, you're, you're, you're a dude, you know, you're, you're a real dude. Um, second thing is, um, thank you. You're welcome. Uh, you mentioned something that your girlfriend said, and there's, there's two things I thought of right when you said it. Number one, that's your girlfriend. Number two, um, women want, this is, this is what I've learned. And if I'm wrong, somebody can, uh, they can, they can send you some hate mail and say, I had Bobby Falkenberg. I heard him say that. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Women want a man to take charge sometimes. Okay. I've had this conversation. They do. Yeah. They want to be independent mm -hmm. and they should be, they want to be strong and they should be. But there are times when, and I know cause my wife has told me they, they love it when we take charge at the right time yes and show them that we care enough about the relationship to control the direction it's going mm -hmm. but they don't want that all the time yeah that is a negative that's control to a point where it's not healthy mm -hmm. and so i think that <laughs> i think that what you do as a person is admirable and i love that about you but i can understand where um you know a female might say you know what just just take charge. Yeah. Because they like that, you know, uh, uh, they like that. So <clears throat> I think if a guy had told you that it would be a completely different story and I'm not trying to be sexist. I just, that's what I have observed in society. You know, I've yeah. been, I've been around a little, a little while and I've done a lot of different things. And, um, I, I just feel like every once in a while women are, are, are kind of just yearning for their male partner for, for women who are heterosexual. Cause not every, not every woman is. And I, I understand that. Um, they want, they want to take charge. There, something that she has told me and reiterated to me was that a lot of times it's more attractive when a male can control his emotions. Cause there are times when I've told her, like there are times when I feel like a bitch because I don't get worked up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there are men who puff up their chest and they get worked up and it looks manly. But to a female, a lot of times if it's not important and the man puffs up his chest, it's a sign of weakness because they're getting emotional over something that they shouldn't get emotional. I about. agree a hundred percent. And that again, that is, um, I almost think that is something that eventually can lead into uh, domestic violence. Mm -hmm. um, and domestic violence doesn't mean that somebody's getting battered. It means it, it could be yelling, it could be control, it mm -hmm. could be stonewalling. Uh, I've had to learn so much about domestic violence to do my job. Yeah, you know, when I was practicing as an attorney and now as a judge, you know, and being able to recognize that stuff. Uh, a man, 
in my opinion, who's constantly bowing up and trying to exert physical domination over his partner is, is his ego is not in check. Yeah, definitely not. Um, that is very different from taking charge of a situation when the counterpart, whether it's female or male, um, kind of feels like they need some direction yeah. because we all do. Uh, there are times where I'm, I, I submit to my wife in a sense that, Hey, I've been thinking about this for the longest time and I'm kind of torn on what to do. And I want your opinion that I think that's extremely healthy and, 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 and every relationship needs that. But I know there are times where she just wants me to make the call, Yeah, you know, and not in a, not in a intimidating way, not in a forceful way, just a calm. Okay. We're This is what we're going to do. Yeah. And, and, and I'll, I will admit there are times in my marriage. I mean, I've been with the same woman for almost 30 years. We've been married. It'll be 24 years in March. There are times where I have not done that as well as I would have liked. Um, and so I try to learn from that and say, okay, she's looking for my direction. She's looking for my leadership, but she does, she's not looking for it in a way that makes her feel inferior. Like inferior. Yeah. Yes. Um, and sometimes I'll, I'll speak to her in a certain way just because like I'm a, I'm a type A person. And when it's like, okay, I've got, I've got court today. I've got to work on my novel. I've got to get kids to school. She's flying. I don't know where she is. She's going to be in four different cities today. And I don't even know where she's going to wind up. I, all I know today is that she's going to wind up in Boston. She went to other places today. And I'm, I think, I think she might've gone to Chicago here. <laughs> now she's going to be in Boston tonight. Um, there's a lot going on and I get very driven and um, I've joked around with some people who know this about me when she is happy with me, she calls me Bobby. And when she feels like I'm kind of being too type a to business with my wife, uh -huh. she says, okay, Robert. Oh, hey. Yeah. Or don't talk to me like that or whatever. And I, I have to check myself yeah. and it's hard sometimes. Cause yeah. I'm just like, look, I'm not trying to be hard on you. I'm not trying to be domineering. I'm just trying to accomplish a lot today, uh -huh. but it's still fair for her to say, you need to take a seat. Yeah. Take your time out. Yeah. And I don't like it when I hear it. Sometimes my response is probably not the best it could be, but she's right. Yeah. You know, she's right to say that because yeah. I, I, I need to check myself. Yeah. So um, I think in answer to your question is it's good to be the kind of person who's willing to be a team player. Um, but yeah, I, every once in a while, a woman just wants you to, to take charge. Yeah. And that's that's in your traditional heterosexual relationship. No offense to anybody who's in any other kind of relationship. I don't know how those dynamics work. I'm not going to pretend like I know. But, um, you know, I, I'm a heterosexual and I, I understand what a heterosexual relationship Are you is. Sure. So I think so. You said some shit to me where yeah. sometimes I question yeah, it. I but I say the same shit to you. So <laughs> it goes back and forth. But no, I think, I think the fact that you're asking that question is, um, again, shows a lot of intellectual maturity. You know, something I learned. <clears throat> so there's a book, Eckhart Tolle, like I said, mm -hmm. called uh, A New Earth. Mm -hmm. And it talks a lot about the ego and understanding the ego and understanding that you are not your ego. And the ability to control it and understand it is extremely hard. The first time <clears throat> I said, I'm sorry to my brothers was one of the hard. It took me hours to go apologize to how I acted towards my brothers. Yeah. Because I knew it was my ego wanting to be the older brother. I'm right. 
Yeah. Even though I knew deep down I was wrong in that situation. You were pulling a, a Bjorn Ironside from Vikings. You were just like taking control of yes. your little brothers. Yes. But I was wrong. <laughs> yeah. You know? So to go back and to say, hey, I fucked up in how I managed that situation, yeah. I apologize, was extremely hard. But after that first time, it got so much easier mm -hmm. to realize that I was a human, I make mistakes. And it makes me a stronger person to be able to recognize my, my, my mistake, mm -hmm. to apologize, and to learn from it because it opened up lines of communication that were not open before. Yeah. I had a similar experience with my siblings. I have three sisters and an older brother. Uh, one of my sisters is younger than me. And again, because I'm confident, Mm -hmm. And I'm 6'3", I'm loud. Um, I didn't know, I had no idea that for years they were intimidated by me and they were threatened by me in a way that I didn't even know. And so there was a, there was a, a family discussion where I had to basically say, apologize for something I didn't even realize I was doing. Yes. And um, I did. I, I, I apologized to all of my siblings and said, I'm sorry for any time I might have ever made you feel like uh, I was, you know, intimidating or trying to control a situation. Um, I'm also a lawyer. You know, I'm a judge, but I'm, I'm a trained lawyer. And you don't get through you're not, I think I talked about this last time. You're not going to be successful as a lawyer unless you're willing to fight. Yeah. You know, and, and, and again, I'll say this, you also have to know when to um, meet somebody in the middle to be a good lawyer. A good lawyer knows this is a fight worth fighting. This is a time for compromise because my client is going to be best served by trying to figure out how we solve this problem without a fight. Mm. We're going to save money. We're going to, we're going to save time. We're going to save emotion. If we figure out how to amicably work this out. So I had all of that going and didn't realize how much my personality made them feel, um, like, uh, it's threatened, you know, uh, just simple little things that I didn't even realize were, were bothering anybody. Mm -hmm. And then I, I thought, um, is the dog trying to get out of her kennel? What's she doing over there? I keep hearing the, the, the kennel. Oh, no. uh, yeah, you can see it into the kennel. Yeah. Oh, she's trying to get into it. Go get something out of it. Oh, okay. I just want to make sure she wasn't like crying to get out or something. No, no, no. Um, I, I realized, oh, well, if my siblings feel that way. What do other people feel? Other people, my wife, my children, and other people in my life, they might feel that way. So, And that was around the same time, late 30s, 40. Um, and so it, like, it, in my social circles, I don't talk a lot anymore because I'm very wary and I'm very aware of how just my natural tendency to communicate with people could make them feel that way. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't put myself under a rock and, and, and make my own self suffer by not capitalizing on the things that make me successful. Mm -hmm. So that's a balance too. 
to say uh, there's a there's a quote and it, I don't know that I necessarily agree with everything that this woman says and I can't remember her name but she says when you allow your light to shine you give permission to other people to do the same oh yeah that I think is extremely uh, intelligent and extremely beneficial and that's what I try to do I just try to inspire other people but there are people out there who because they're of the way they were raised or the way they look at life, they still see it as intimidation. They mm -hmm. still see it as, oh, you, that guy's narcissistic. He's always talking about himself. No, he just believes in what he's doing. And most of the time when he's talking about himself, he's trying to talk himself into continue to believing that he's got what it takes to do this thing he's trying to do. Yeah, And, and that's me. Yeah, um, I'm never trying to say, oh, look at what a badass I am. I'm trying to say, look, this is something I want really bad and I'm fighting really bad for it. And I, I hope it inspires you to do the same. Yes. But at the same time, don't step on other people to get there. Yeah. I know some very successful people who treat other people really poorly. They ignore their family to get where they want to go. They ignore their health to get where they want to go. And I don't, I don't consider that. I don't care how much money you have. I don't consider that to be success. Yeah. Because you're not balanced. Yeah. If you can do all that and be crazily financially successful, then you're balanced. And you know what? My hat's off to you. But most of the people I know that are really, really financially successful, um, there's something else that they're ignoring. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm not trying to. I'm not. Again, I'm not trying to put anybody down. But I think that that is, for me, what I've learned from that is, okay, um, success has got to be something that you balance with everything in your life if you're Not just financial yeah if you're ignoring your family to be rich are you really rich yeah if you're ignoring your health to be rich when you hit 60 and you can barely get around because you've ignored your health for 30 years trying to be rich are you really rich yeah you know so uh, that's one example of just finding that balance and, and that balance includes how you treat other people yeah how what's that saying um nobody's going to care what house you lived in what clothes you wore what you drive but everybody's going to remember how you made them feel yes I, i'm time. all about that yeah i don't want to make anybody feel bad yep but i'm not at the same time i'm not going to sit here and, and 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 ignore my drive and my talent because it might offend you i'm yeah. not going to do that either mm -hmm. you know i, I want to inspire you speaking of which to anybody listening if I've ever come off like an, as an <laughs> asshole in the gym, I am an asshole, but I'm an asshole with, asshole with emotion. And uh, I understand that I'm loud. And if I ever look, I can come off as intimidating. I get it because I'm loud and I'm confident. Yeah. But if I've ever made you feel a certain type of way, I'm not an asshole. Just talk to me. You know what I mean? <laughs> that, that, that's, that's the truest thing in the world. And um, I, I get kind of annoyed with people who use and abuse psychological terms like the like narcissist uh -huh. people like to throw that word around and there are a lot of narcissists out there and the thing about a narcissist is that they they don't have the ability to truly self-reflect mm -hmm. and understand that they're being narcissistic yeah a confident person is not necessarily a narcissist a confident person who can again self-reflect but is driven to achieve their goal. That's not narcissism. Mm -hmm. That's confidence. Narcissism is when you're willing to uh, exploit the lives of others to get what you want. Mm -hmm. Being confident and trying to work hard to fulfill your dreams and uh, still caring what other people feel, that's just confidence. Yeah. 
That's all that is. Yeah, I, I talk shit, but I'm going to cheer you on Ab- absolutely. just as hard. Even if absolutely. I'm talking shit, I'm going to talk shit, and then I'm going to cheer you on. And, and part of the reason I might talk shit to you is because I know what you have inside of you. Yeah, for and sure. And I want to see you recognize your full potential. For sure. Uh, that, that's, if, if, if society was full of cheerleaders. We wouldn't get anywhere. It, well. It, Go ahead. Sorry. No, if society, maybe I used the wrong word. If we had more people who were willing to be real and and tell people what they need to hear rather than what they want to hear. Yeah. Um, I mean, look at American Idol. How many people got up there and made utter fools out of themselves because everybody in their social circle said, oh, yeah, you can sing. You're a good singer. Just because they don't want to hurt their feelings. Exactly. Yeah. And then they get on national TV and they make a complete and total fool out of themselves. Um, that's not what we need. We need people who are going to say, that's not your gift, but you know what this is. Yeah. So go do that instead. Yeah. Because this is just going to make you feel bad about yourself. You don't have what it takes to be a singer. Go do this because you know, you're really good at that. And that's where you should put your, your time into. Yeah. You know, and, and there's the whole idea of, you know what a gifted desire is? No. It's when you're gifted with talents that you also have a desire to pursue. Sometimes you're gifted with things that you're not interested in. And sometimes you have a desire for things that you're not gifted with. Mm. But when you find your gifted desire, you're unstoppable. Mm-hmm. And if we could all help each other learn what our gifted desires are, then we'd all be more successful. Yeah. You know, but that requires being real with people and being willing to hurt somebody's feelings. And I know I've been on the receiving end of that. I've had people tell me, you know, I, maybe you shouldn't do this. Maybe you should put more time into that. And I'm like, thank you for the advice. It really pisses me off right now, but I get it, you know? So I don't know. It all comes down to the ego. It it does. A lot of times it comes down to the ego. The ego is, and that's why there's been so (laughs) many studies on it. And that's why Freud a hundred years after his death and his heyday is still talked about today because he, Maybe you don't agree with everything he said, but he did have a thumb. You know, he had his thumb on the whole idea of how ego is so pervasive yeah. in our society. Something I've learned through, I'm I'm not very old, but something I've learned in my time was going well, you, back. You move like you're old. You move like you're really old. You lift like you're really old. <laughs> I'm trying my best, Bobby. Um <laughs> I'm not here to, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm the greatest leader in the world, but something that I've learned after controlling my ego was understanding when to lead and when to take a step back and let somebody else lead. 100%. I used to be, the way I was before was I'm a leader in any situation, even if I'm not capable of leading because my ego wanted me to be the guy in charge. Yeah. Once I understood, and this is to anybody who may be feeling this, being a good leader is being able to recognize when somebody else is better fit to lead. Yeah. Letting them lead when they're capable of leading is a sign of being a good leader because you don't need to lead in situations that you're not well-versed in, you're not prepared for. So to be able to sit back and and check your own ego and say, okay, this person can lead better than I can. Mm-hmm. The team's going to go further with this person in charge. 
you will get further versus trying to lead all the time. So when there are situations where I feel that my experience or my leadership skills are important, I'll step in. Yeah. But a lot of the times I'm saying, let me step back. Let me let this person do the talking because I know that the people around are going to get more from somebody who's fit to lead versus me pretending I'm fit to lead. Yep. I agree completely. Um, most good leaders will surround themselves with people that they consider to be smarter. Yes. More intelligent and more talented than them. That's why I surround myself with you. Well, I was going to say the same thing. Um, at, like one of the things that I do, uh, because I, I, I learned that a long time ago, was that it, look, a good leader is somebody who recognizes their faults. Yes. A good leader recognizes their weaknesses. Yes. Um, you know, I was always the kid and I never asked for it. But growing up, whenever, whether it was in elementary school, middle school, high school, college, law school, you get put, you get thrown into these situations where you have to do group work. I hate group work. And the reason I hate it is because every time there was a group work project, maybe not every time, most times, and I I do mean most times, there was a group work project, nobody would step up. And there'd be this moment of silence where it would be like, okay, we need somebody to be in charge here. And nobody would step up. And so there were times where I would say, I'll do it. Because somebody had to. Yeah. And then there were times where people would look at me and say, will you do it? Will you be our leader? Uh-huh. And I would say, okay, yeah, I'll do it. And I, I feel like being able to step into that situation and understand that you don't have all the answers, that you need to listen to the people around you and then take that information and make a decision. Um, that's what a leader does a leader you know what is what's the word oligarch um or or dictator you know somebody who doesn't care what the people around them think yep they're just gonna do what they want to do that is terrible yeah that is millions of people have died because of people like that um all throughout history and again that's why literacy is important very but um like with my with with my court, you know, I have seven counties, I have a bunch of attorneys and a bunch of, of caseworkers and supervisors and people that work for the state and people that work for a private entity that cares for the children. Uh, we, you know, even in my hearings, before I make decisions, I want to hear from everybody. I want, and I ask people questions, tell me, tell me what you think. And then we have these uh, quarterly meetings and I'll ask, you know, how does, how is this policy that I've instituted working out? They helped me create it. And then now I want to know how is it working? And if it's not working, we're going to change it. And and then if we are going to change it, how do y'all think we should? Uh, And I try to do the same thing with, with my family and in my marriage, my wife and I have big decisions to make. We talk about it. Um, Now, when it comes to leadership in a marriage or a relationship, um, I don't think there can be two. I don't think there ever can be two leaders. I just don't think that works. I think that leads to an unresolvable conflict situation, which is not good for anybody. So what I told my wife was early on, one of us is going to have to be the decision maker. I remember you telling me this. Yeah. Do you want it to be you or do you want it to be me? Because whoever that decision maker is has a lot more responsibility. 
and, and has to shoulder the blame when that decision is made. I said, who do you want it to be? And uh, throughout the course of our marriage, you know, she's always affirmed, I, I want you to make those decisions because th there's certain situations where I don't want to have to be that person. But that doesn't mean that there aren't times where I still defer to her. And I say, you know what? I, I really want to do whatever you think we should do here because I don't know what to do. And I think that's what makes a good leader. Yeah, for sure. Um, going back to ego, a person whose ego is unchecked cannot think like that. Yep. They can't think like that. Yeah. It's not possible. So... I don't know. You, that, that, that is just such an inter interesting concept because society revolves around people working together to accomplish things. Otherwise, society is pointless. Yeah. And um, you can always tell when an, an agency or an entity or a corporation or a family or a group, you can always tell when they have a good leader because they're, they're just, they just jive well and they're successful. Yeah. And you can always tell when they have a bad leader. And you know, there's a book I read, uh, it's called Multipliers, and it's about leadership, and it's about a leader doesn't just lead, a leader teaches those who are with them how to lead yep. when it's necessary. Yeah. So if you're ever out, the people below you, quote unquote below you, even though they're not below you, the people who you are leading when you're out, they're able to step up and say, okay, they've taught me that it's okay to step in when yeah. it's necessary. Yeah. And a lot of times <clears throat> there are certain people who think they're leaders, but the second they're gone, everything falls apart. Yeah. And that's not a good leader. To be able to lead is to teach people how to lead when it's necessary, how to step in when they feel confident enough to step in. Yeah. Because a lot of times there are leaders who don't give the people, their subordinates, the opportunity or the permission to step in when they feel it's fit. Yeah. I, I see that in, in family, <laughs> you know, like, like our family, um, my wife and I, Faith and I have always tried really hard to teach our children, uh, in their words, um, the truth. Yeah. Truth. Um, give me love, give me fame, give me fortune, but above all, give me truth. Because truth is how you develop really strong bonds in a relationship. I don't think I know. If, I don't know if I said that quote exactly right, but that's the idea. Is truth supersedes all, um, and we've always tried to teach our children: uh, life is ugly, the world is ugly. It 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 doesn't care about you. Other people are what make those bonds to where you you feel like you're loved and you're cared about. Because the world's not the life is not going to do that for you. Um, and so we've tried to teach them to be self-sufficient. We've tried to teach them to look out for each other. We've tried to teach them, um, to be responsible. And when we leave town, the two of us, and we leave the teenagers and teenagers in charge of the little ones, they do it because we've done that. What you just said, we've done the work over the years. Cause you can't, you can't not do that work for years and then try to do it at the very last minute, right before they leave the house. It doesn't work you can't raise responsible adults in the last two years that they're at home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At the start of the beginning, you got to start when they're born. Yeah. And, um, I've seen that in our family. Uh, they go to other places and people will tell us your children were so well behaved. Your children were so helpful, you know, and we haven't done everything right. We've made mistakes. You know, our children aren't perfect and we're not perfect, 
But overall, I, I feel like my wife and I have led them in a way to where they, they have that gift. Um, even on days where I'm just like, what is this kid doing? What are they, why are they saying what they're saying? Somebody else will come out of the woodwork. I'll get an email, a text. Just want to let you know my child was around one of your children and they came home and we're talking about how nice they were to them. And that to me is success. Yeah. Um, just want to let you know you're, you know, I worked with your kid and, and your kid did a really good job. And oh, I've worked with your kid. He's yeah. done an amazing job. Well, I appreciate that. Um, you know, I don't, I don't care if they're at the top of their class. I don't care if they get out and get the best job. I don't care if they, um, you know, get accolades. I don't care about any of that. I care how they treat other people. Mm-hmm. You know, I care about how they navigate their way through life and have integrity. Yeah. Um, and I think, in any situation, that's what a leadership should teach. You know, a leader should teach that. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not always going to be right. You're not always going to be successful, but you can always have integrity. Yeah. Um, and and we all fall short of that. You know, I know I do. We I, can always be better. We can always be better at it. And, and we can always, you know, everybody makes mistakes. You're going to make mistakes to the day you die. And sometimes they're minor and sometimes they're major, but that's, trying to evaluate like you said at the beginning of this podcast evaluating that being able to self-reflect and say i screwed that up yeah i could have done that better i could have said something better i could have made a better decision that is um i think that's the lifeblood of of any successful society um I don't know. There's a lot of other stuff that goes into it too. You know, again, not studying history has led us to make a lot of decisions within our society that are just, they make you scratch your head, you know, but you got to operate in that world and let people be human. Yeah. You know, understand that everybody makes mistakes, but when it becomes public, people like to out other people. Oh, this guy fucked up. Oh, this guy did this. He's done. You make mistakes. It's just not publicized. Going back to football on that. Oh, they didn't win the championship year this year, so they're firing their coach. Yeah. What? What? They made it. What, wait, wait, hang on a minute. If we if we tell if we make everybody feel like if they make one mistake, they're going to get fired, then everybody's operating on fear. Yes. And when you're operating on fear instead of confidence, you're just going to keep making mistakes. Mm-hmm. And I think our society and the corporate world, the professional sports world has done a really good job of making people operate on fear and then being beholden to stockholders. Yep. Oh, well, this might not be the most ethical decision, but it's what's going to be best for our stockholders. So this is what we're going to do. Or I don't want to get fired, so I'm going to make this decision, even though it's not the best decision. So that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, I, I just it blows my mind. People sell out. Yeah, yeah. But um, I don't know. I just I mean I do know, but it's like we're not we're not going to solve all of our problems in in you know one day or a month or a year or a decade, but we have to try every decision we make, yeah, you know, but greed is an ugly, ugly thing. Mm-hmm. Very <laughs> power, greed, whether you're Christian or, or not, whatever your religion is, there's a reason that the seven deadly sins are the seven deadly sins. It doesn't matter what you believe, mm-hmm. you know, 
greed is one of them and it is ugly. Yeah. <clears throat> well, going back to your book, because this is something I want to talk about. Okay. When are you expecting the release date of this? I posted album? about this a little while back that at this point in the game, that is completely up to when an agent works with me and when a publisher picks it up from the agent. Okay. I have no idea how long it's going to take. Okay. I don't know. And that's why I'm already working on the next installment and another novel outside of the series because I'm like, I got to constantly be working because once I do get picked up, I have to have something ready to give them. You know, uh, prolific writers write every day. This yeah. bullshit of, oh, I've got writer's block or, oh, I haven't written in a week. Screw all that noise. I write every day, every whether day. I want to or not. I'm yeah. either writing in that journal or I'm writing on the computer because you don't get shit done by waiting until the time is right. You do the work, not until you're tired, but until you're done. You know, and, and not everybody has that driving force behind them, but I do. <laughs> I, don't, I don't apologize for it. Something Stephen Pressfield in that Turning Pro he talked about was he either he rented or bought a cabin yeah and he went to that cabin locked himself in there with a typewriter not a laptop yeah a typewriter that's badass got rid of his phone so all he had was the cabin and the typewriter he had the work the work yeah and as much as he didn't want to do it he had nothing else to do so do it yeah. So do it. You know, you just made me think of, of two things when you said that. Number one is people often make fun of people who read a lot and people who write. It's like a joke in our society. Oh, that, that guy, his texts are this long or whatever. He's always reading or she's always reading. Or, oh, writers are so nerdy. But look at Netflix. Every effing show on Netflix was written by somebody yeah every movie that that the manliest men think is so badass that was written by somebody it was either a novel or it was a screenplay every every tv series that's wildly successful and that men and women alike love somebody wrote that so i always think about it. it's so funny to me when people laugh about oh you read or oh you're a writer you know look everything that you have in entertainment outside of sports somebody wrote that yeah even sports nowadays and songs the best songs to the bro country songs yeah <laughs> somebody wrote that yeah um but um yeah even sports you know some say that that's scripted too but um the other thing that you made me think of um let's see typewriter i lost the, i lost my train of the thought the cabin just putting the work in he had nothing else to do Lock himself in the cabin, writing. It'll come back to you. Maybe it'll come back. Maybe not. <laughs> we'll see. Oh, <clears throat> uh, uh, let me let me ask you some questions. Sure. Okay. Um, you're thirty. Yes, sir. Um, you had a, you had a birthday not too long ago. Yes, sir. December. Yeah. So happy belated again. I know I was there at your thank you celebration, but happy birthday. Thank you. Um, what do you want to do this year? 
where are you going this year? What's going to happen this year? What's what's what is Julian Larasquito's 30, 30th year look like? I'm still trying to reach my prime. Yeah, well, you're at the right age for that. Yeah, that's a big thing. I'm way past that, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I would like to reach my prime. I would like to see, you know what a quote is that I recently, I'm going to read it to you. Can Please. I, can yes, I pull my phone? Absolutely. Okay. This is a freaking amazing quote. Let me see. Some dead air. It's okay. okay. Yeah. Dead it you know what? Fuck them. When I listen to podcasts, sometimes I'm, I like I just welcome the dead air. Yeah. All right, hold on. Um, I sent it to my buddy, <clears throat> and this is for all of you people who aren't seeing what your body is capable of. Capable of. Stop being a bitch. <laughs> okay, okay, David Goggins. All right. The quote is. This was by Socrates. No man has the right to be an amateur in the matter of physical training. It is a shame for a man to grow old without seeing the beauty and strength of which his body is capable. <clears throat> I don't know if it's true or not, but I heard recently um, that those famous well-known philosophers from that day and age they were brutes like they were skilled in f war and fighting and um grappling you know greco-roman wrestling um they they felt like their health and being strong were absolute prerequis prerequisites to being thinkers yeah. Who was the other? Um, Socrates, and then the, who was the other one? The, I can't think of it right now. But anyways, continue. Um, and so I would like to see what my body is capable of. Yeah. Pushing myself to limits that I didn't think were possible. Mm -hmm. um, I know anything is possible, and obviously you have to put the work in. But being able to recognize what I'm capable of is very important. Yeah. And so... At 30, I would like to recognize and put in the work to see what I'm capable of. Um, definitely growing my connections with people is very important. Yeah, I'm always self-reflecting on how I can be better and how I can become a better communicator. Um, a lot of times I've gotten this from people around me and it's hard to take because of my ego, but the whole idea of it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And so a lot of times if we don't know how to communicate, our message even never gets through, even if it's a good message. Um, so my communication with other people is something that I'm definitely working on. Well, podcasting obviously helps. For sure, for sure. I mean, regardless of what else it does for you in your life, just sitting and having conversations with people. We don't do this. We, we need to do it a we lot more. We need to do it a lot more. Everybody needs to put the phone down and yeah. just look people in the eye and talk. Yes. Something I told uh, Shannon, I just did this podcast with him, and 
I told him at the end, I wasn't part of the podcast, but I told him at the end as we were leaving, it's a lot of people, they're not even looking for something certain when they're listening to these podcasts. They just like to know that other people are human. Yeah. They just like to know that other people deal with shit just like they deal with it. And so that's a big thing is just being open, honest about how I'm feeling, how I feel certain days and the struggles that I go through is big because being able to tell people this is where I'm weak is eventually going to lead to strength versus pretending like I'm perfect and then never improving on the things that I do need to improve on. You know, you said at the beginning of this podcast that uh, people were telling you, you need to have a theme. Yeah. Do you realize that this the theme of this whole podcast has been about ego? Yeah, it, it turned into a theme. Yeah. <laughs> it did. And you know what? It wasn't planned. It's just where the conversation it's, takes it's us. Absolutely. And I think that, that, that the, the beauty of the free form, long form conversation, it, it opens the doors to so many things. Yes. Um, just amazing. Because what we're getting fed out there is all so scripted and biased and agenda driven that you know what we're talking about right now there's i don't stand to gain anything from this oh no me neither you know other than i'm just sitting here having a conversation with you and hoping that something that we say um inspires or or makes somebody giggle or makes somebody say oh i never thought of that or make somebody say what a couple of douchebags you know that's okay <laughs> with me too that's okay i'm having a great time <laughs> but um okay so you want to communicate better yes what else you want okay no you, you said two things you want to be the best you can be physically yes. you want yes. to see what you can do yes and you want to communicate better with people what 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 one more thing um i want to take somebody under my wing and teach them what i know in terms of okay my biggest issue right now, and I know this is again my ego, and it's something that I'm grappling with, is understanding that people are capable. So I do a lot of uh, like a jack of all trades. I can do a yeah. lot of things. I've seen your work. You do some well, really good work. Yeah. My problem is, is believing that other people can do it. Because I've been doing this for, let me see, 30 15 14 is when i started actually like turning wrenches and doing things so close to 15 years yeah and so i feel like i'm dealing with the fear of trying to take somebody under my wing who's just not going to get it and i need to get over that fear and allow them the opportunity to get it do you know what i mean i i know what you mean and i think that there's a reason why people are vetted for positions. Yeah. Um, so if you want to take somebody under your wing, which I think is awesome and I think is admirable, you, you have to have a pool of people who you can test and vet and evaluate before you pick that person who's, who's going to show up. Yeah. You know, and uh, God, ever since COVID, the one thing I've heard from employers more than anything else is that people just don't want to show up anymore. Mm -hmm. And that makes me sad for those people because it's like, 
it's really easy to fall into the trap of saying, oh, people are just lazy now and they want to do everything from home. Well, maybe some people are like that. COVID screwed our society up in more ways than we're ever going to know. It was the Chinese. Well, you said that, not me. My people. You said that. Bring back Asian hate. (laughs) I'm just kidding. No, don't bring it back. If it's to me, go feel free. I think think we need to make sure that anybody else who hears this understands that you are half Asian. I think that needs to be at the fir- the forefront of everything is that you are actually half Asian. Um, I, I, I don't want to I don't want to hijack your train of thought, um, but I think that what you said about um, oh, going back to COVID, excuse me, I think it it really screwed up what a lot of people their potential. I guess yeah. is what I'm trying to get at, like. I think so many people and, and, and a lot of them, you know, whether you're talking about millennials or Gen X or Gen Z, uh, and I had to take a whole class on that for my job is just how to talk to the different generations. And there's a different way to do it. You know, there's, there's a different way. Like you were talking earlier about, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. What you say, you could have one premise and how you say that to a boomer how you say that to a Gen X, how you say that to a millennial, or how you say that to a Gen Z, it's going to look different. All four ways. Mm-hmm. It's going to look different. And if you don't have a grip on that, then you, you could be damaging somebody. And, you know, the people will say, oh, well, they're a snowflake. You know, they need to get over themselves. And, and maybe some people do. But I think this, this last four years of our society dealing with COVID has created a workforce that is almost afraid. Whether that's, whether that's um, bona fide or contrived or, or uh, legitimate or not, I don't know in every situation. But so if you're looking for somebody to take under your wing, what generation are they? How old are they? And what have they been through the last four years? Like what was their situation? And then you got to test that person and find out if they have the metal because you're, you're a hard worker, you're a driven person. Um, you're skilled, you're tough. You, uh, anybody that does CrossFit for any long period of time and doesn't quit, that's a tough person. I don't care how, what their level is or how, um, you know, if they scale stuff or if they're doing RX or they're doing standard, it doesn't matter. They're showing up. They're showing up and they're finishing every watt. That is a tough, a mentally tough and physically tough person. Yeah. And that's what you are. And so you have to know that whoever you have coming in to take under your wing, they're going to be intimidated by you and they have to be the kind of person that's not going to back down. You know, they're going to respect you, but they're, they're going to have to be the person that you're not going to run them off. You know? Yeah. Um, okay, so take those, somebody under your wing. Yeah, those are the three main things I would say. Is there a, is there a fourth or a fifth? Yeah, there is. There's a fourth. What's the fourth? To beat Chris Morales <laughs> and Russ at the Grand Canyon. Okay, to set the box record. Okay, um, I'm coming after you, boys. Now I'm I'm six three, and if I'm as skinny as I can possibly be, I'm still 250 pounds, and I like chocolate, and I like 
alcohol and I like pastries and ice cream, so I'm probably never going to get below 260. But when I trained for the Grand Canyon, I gave it the second time I gave it everything I had. And I understand that I'm, I'm, I'm a big guy. I'm thick. Um, I'm, I'm never going to be thin. It's just not going to happen. It's not in the cards. And, um, I finished an hour behind them going as hard as I could. Mm-hmm. And so I think you can do it. I think you can. But one thing I've noticed the, uh, in 2022 when I trained with Morehouse, we trained a lot together. Um, he's going so much harder this year. Oh, fuck yeah. Than he did. Like, he's going so much harder. Because he knows. And then Russ, Russ is a freak. A freak. He does not have to train uh-huh. to run fast yep. for a long way. Yep. So you got your work cut out for you. I know. I think you can do it. I got a good group of guys around me. Shout out to RJ, Arnie. Oh, those guys are pushing me. I've seen you guys running. I've seen <laughs> I'm like, you know what? I see y'all get out there in your vest, and I'm like, if I was their age, because what you, you're 30. How old's RJ? 31. And then Arnie? 34. Okay. So I'm 17 years older than you, which, you know, what is that? Uh, RJ, you said 31. Uh-huh. So 16, and then I'm 14 years older than, than Arnie. Uh-huh. I see you guys running and I'm like, I didn't start CrossFit till I was 32. And I was like, man, I saw y'all running the other day. And I was like, if I was still in my thirties, I'd be out there running with them. But I just know that I'm, I'm just, I get out there and I CrossFit and I run Well, I don't run anymore. I hike and and walk as fast as I can. And, uh, and that's good enough for me now. But if I was, if I was still in y'all's ballpark i'd be out there running with you i'm oh, proud of you that. guys y'all are kicking ass thank you yeah arnie's a freaking dude's a freaking beast y'all are all beasts he we, you and arnie and rj are are a, a, a trifecta to i be love working with. out with him dude there was yeah. a day where arnie called us up he's like y'all want to go on a run a jog he said a jog <laughs> we go out we show up starts going and in mile three me and rj are looking at each other like is this guy ever gonna jog <laughs> we're wondering you know and it's it's that thing where the ego steps in is like oh you better keep up with these boys you know you you ain't got no choice yeah you don't have a choice shame yeah you don't want the shame don't be the weak link yeah you know but it's it's those guys that push me to be stronger than i've ever been to be faster than i've ever been and it's an amazing place to be in at 30 right because there are people i know who or my age, and I'm seeing people, like I was talking to Shannon, seeing people from high school who just never see what they're capable of. Yeah. And I know these guys want to know how fucking, how fucking monstrous they can be. Yeah. And it's surround yourself with people who are willing to make you fight, make you push through the pain and say, you're being a bitch. Step up. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, you know, I still work out with my OG guys. Like I was working out with Brandon the other day and, you know, they had a workout today and I was supposed to go and I I wound up having to work and I couldn't get there. But, you know, we're all in our late forties and fifties and, um, Brandon and I were up there Friday and we did this crazy, stupid wad. It was a 40 minute chipper. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think I told you about this when we were, Mm -hmm. we were on our, our hike, um, Saturday at river place, but 
you know, the, wherever you are with your age level, um, I feel the same thing. You know, like we get out there and we're all past our prime. I have no problem admitting that. Um, but we're there. And I remember we were like in round four, we did eight rounds and we were in like round four and all I was trying to do was keep up with Brandon. I mean, this guy's been to the games. Yeah. I was just trying to keep up with him. Yeah. And I was like, as long as I can keep up with Brandon, I'm okay. You know, I don't have to think about anything else. All I have to do is not let him get 10 feet in front of me. Mm -hmm. If I just stay there with him. And I did. And we got done. Um, that's when I found out that the whole time he was thinking, I just wanted to walk away. I yeah. just wanted to quit, but yeah. I, you know, there's no way he would, he would never, never do that. But in our minds. And I was like, dude, I said, if you hadn't been here, I probably would have got six rounds. Oh, for sure. But you pushed me cause I didn't want the shame. Yeah. I didn't want the shame of saying, you know what? We show We both showed up here today. I got to bring it as bad as it hurts. And as hard as it was, I got to bring it Yeah, and just keep moving. And you know there there are days like the other day I did we did a workout and I got smoked I just got smoked because it wasn't my it, none of the movements were in my wheelhouse it was all hard stuff but I was like I gotta finish I just gotta finish and then there are days where I go up there and I'm like keeping up with people who are 10, 15 years younger than me I'm not beating them by any stretch of the imagination but I'm just I'm in the same vicinity and that's that's that to me is like okay it's all age relative. You just don't want to be the guy that, or the girl that bitches out. Yeah, for and, sure. And that's what I love about CrossFit and the reason I'm willing to continue paying for it. Could I do these workouts on my own? Sure. But would it be the same? No way. No, not even close. Not even close. And I love it that I have a group of people who are all willing just to go up there and suffer because they know you invest in your health now or you're going to pay for your illness later. Yep. And that's an unstoppable tribe. Yep. You know, I love it. Me too. I, and there are days where I don't want to be there at all. Everybody pisses me off. And then I leave an hour later after I'm wrecked and I'm just like in love with life again. Yep. I'm like, I'm so glad I showed up. Speaking of which, you said earlier, it takes a, a really mentally tough person to be able to show up every day. It does. Especially at CrossFit where it's something that you freaking take a beating. You want to quit every day. Yeah. But you push through. Shout out. I'm going to give a shout out. Kay, you're fucking crushing it. Oh, she's crushing it. Emily, you're crushing it. Oh, yeah. Bailey, the fact that you ladies are showing up every day. And just putting the work in, y'all yeah. are fucking crushing it. Yeah, RJ, Cody, I don't know if y'all listen to this, but y'all are crushing it. Yeah. To be, <clears throat> I've been at the box for, I don't know, coming up on seven years. Yeah. To see people who come in and not only become better at CrossFit and more physically fit, but to see them change the direct the trajectory of their lives yep. is fascinating. Yep. To be like, this person walked in, they didn't really have much in terms of physical fitness. They show up every day. And <clears throat> I understand what that feels like to walk in and be intimidated because you're surrounded by people who are more physically fit than you and doing more than you. But to stick it out 
Yeah. And then to get to that level where you're finishing wads, you're pushing through, yeah. it inspires other people. Even people who are on a higher level higher level of physical fitness, y'all still inspire me. Absolutely. Because that work, even though the weights aren't the same, you're still putting in the work yep. every single day. Yep. And that's what it's about. And, and that goes back to what we were talking about earlier is you go in there and you let your light shine then there's there's going to be whether like you say somebody who's been doing it longer than you who just needs to be reminded look look at what they're doing yeah stop being a bee and get a bitch. Uh, yeah and get the work done and so like i'll have days where I, like i'm in i'm in medina county i'm in hondo it's an hour and a half drive away i drive an hour and a half to get there i have six or seven cases I'm brain dead. I get in the car and I'm like, okay, I can make the 4:30 or the 5:30 depending on how long it takes me to get home. And I can't tell you how many days I'm like I just want to go home and I want to pour a glass of whiskey and I want to sit at the bar and listen to music and veg out and just forget about the stress of the day. I'm like, nope. Go to the box. You got work to do. Just just go up there, get your clothes on and maybe you're going to have a bad day. Maybe you're not going to do that well, or maybe you're going to kill it, but you're going to be there. Yeah. You know, and you're going to be with your tribe. And I, I think that that's huge. You know, I, I know outsiders see us as a cult. Outsiders see us as, oh, why would you go do that to yourself? Because I'm doing this to myself so that when we're both 70, I'm still playing with my grandkids. Yep. You know, I'm still able to do things. Oh, we all CrossFitters always get hurt. Well, so do people who don't CrossFit. Yep. Their muscles and their bones and their joints and their ligaments are weak. They're weak. They're not strong. They're not rigid. They're not supple anymore. So pick your poison. Yeah. You know, do you want to be sore and in shape? Do you want to be injured and in shape? Or do you want to be sore and not in shape? Sore and not able to walk to, up a flight of stairs. To, you had to walk around Disney. <laughs> <laughs> you had to walk around Disney and now you can't walk the next day. And I, and I don't say that to be like, you know, negative. I'm, I'm like, no, CrossFit's not for everybody, but just get out there and move your body. Yeah. Get the blood circulating. Keep your muscles supple. Keep your bones and your ligaments taut and strong and, and keep your heart strong. You know, like just just do something because if you don't have your health, you have nothing. Yeah. The second people get sick, all they wish for is wellness. Yeah. Nothing else matters. It's just like taking care of your car. If you don't change your oil, if you don't get tires when you're supposed to, if you don't change belts, if you don't get a tune-up, it's going to die on you in the worst possible time. Yep. Your body's going to do the same thing. Yeah. It's just, it's just going to die on you when you need it to keep going. And then it's too late. Yeah. You're done. <laughs> so let me ask you. You asked me, my turn, what are your three main goals for the year? To be a published author. Yes, sir. To um, graduate my daughter from high school and get her on her way in life. And to um, be just the best dad, husband, father, judge that I can be. Let me, let me commend you for a second. No, you don't have to do that. I'm going to do it anyways. <laughs> <clears throat> I better pour some more whiskey before yeah, you do this. Yeah, pour some more. I see the stuff that uh, Slade is out doing. 
Yeah. And I'm impressed, man. I'm very impressed. Thank you. And um, a lot of times the stuff your kids do is a direct reflection of you as a man. And you're somebody that I look up to. I appreciate that. Thank you. Seeing him go out and produce this incredible work. By the way, Bobby Sun produces some amazing um, footage about his other son. Yeah, he's a hard worker. Yeah, I recognize it too. Oh, yeah. Stone, Stone, Stone's a hard worker. He's a hard worker. I've worked with him. But um, to see your son go out on his own and to produce this incredible footage and put miles in the backcountry and to live his passion, to have the confidence to go out and live his passion is a huge compliment to the job that you've done. Well, thank you. A lot of times there are people who don't have that guidance, so they don't feel confident enough to chase what they want to chase. Yeah. And the fact that you've allowed him the opportunity to feel confident enough to do that is uh is very admirable. Well, thank you. So I appreciate it. I would be, I really do appreciate that, but I would be remiss not to, and I know she's not here, but um, his mother's a big part of that too. Um, and, and I know that you would recognize that if she was sitting here, but uh, I'll yeah, throw faith, faith. I'll throw her a shout out. You've um, done an amazing job. She, um, she is strong in a way that I am not. I think we complement each other well because I'm strong in ways that she is not. But one thing that uh, nobody can ever take away from her is that uh, she she made the choice to stay at home with our kids for 17 years and put all of their needs and all of their wants and desires above her own. And I, that to me is probably if if definitely 50% but maybe even 60% or 70% of why any of our kids do anything that they do because they always knew that she was going to be there to cheer them on and, and um, invest in them. And, you know, I know it's a team effort and I, I do appreciate what you said for sure because a lot of the wild stuff that they did, that was me. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife grew up in a very urban environment until she moved here and I introduced her to outdoors and she didn't like it a whole lot at first. Now she loves it. But, um, you know, I took them hunting. I took them fishing. And um, there were times where I made them do um, flutter kicks in the surf at the beach at night. Uh, they'd get in trouble, and I'd make them all line up and do burpees until they were, you know, not disrespectful anymore. You know? mm-hmm. uh-huh. <laughs> um, things like that. I mean, they they did a lot of stuff, um, you know, so yeah, thank you, and and I appreciate you recognizing that. But I gotta, I gotta, I gotta throw it to Slade too. You know, um, I was kind of a pioneer in my family. Uh, nobody else went to college. Nobody went to law school. Nobody's ever been a lawyer or judge. You know, yada yada yada. I'm not, I'm not like trying to toot my own horn, but he's carrying on that tradition. You know, uh, he he moved to Montana. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he had a friend up there, but he made a whole group of friends and. Um, when he went up there, he said, dad, I want to buy a camera, a really good camera because I want to go film stuff. And I said, Slade, save your money because you have no idea what 
kind of expenses you're going to have. He's renting a house with three girls. I said, you don't know what kind of expenses you're going to have. What a setup. Yeah, seriously. Um, <laughs> I said, you're going to have all kinds of bills that you don't realize yet. He said, Dad, I really want to, I want to, I want to be, I want to do film. It's, it's what I want to do. You know, I want to, I want to film things and I want to take photos of things and I need a good camera to do it. He said, I've saved the money. I said, you need to save that money in case you, you need that money. And we had two or three conversations about it. And uh, finally he was like, I'm buying the camera, dad. And I said, okay. I said, I've guided you. I've advised you. I've done my job as a father. Yeah. You make your choices. They bought the camera and uh, he's done some crazy. Oh, I've seen it. Amazing things with it. Unbelievable. And uh, I was telling him, I was there in um, January. I went up to see him. His car blew up. Uh, the cold weather killed it. Uh-huh. So we had to get him another car. Well, somebody bought that car. Nice. And they're going to fix it. Um, I guess they they feel they felt like it was uh, they, maybe they had the tools or whatever, but it, it was a major repair that we were just not willing to put into the car. The car was already almost not it was nine years old. So I had to help him sell it, and in Montana, the person on the title has to sign in front of a notary to sell a vehicle. And I could have made him a power of attorney. I could have done it that way, but I was like, you know, it's a chance for me to go see my kid. Yeah. So I went up there and um, spent a weekend. Uh, with him and uh you know he bought his bought another car and, and all that stuff but uh i i was just I'm, I'm so amazed by what he's done with his life up there and uh i told him when i was there i was like you know if you think you really want to be in film start doing some stuff in film outside of just filming stuff because you're gonna have to do a lot of things as a filmographer or um, you know, a photographer that maybe you're not that interested in, but you're going to need to pay the bills. I said, so reach out to some real estate agents, put your name out there, say that you're willing to come do weddings and, and, and shit like that. Maybe you're not into it, but it'll, it'll help you buy equipment and it'll help you pay your bills. And I just had a conversation with him today where he's got some lady that wants to hire him to do her wedding nice. in September. And he might do another one in June. And he was asking nice. me, what should I charge? And I'm like, just talking to that, talking to him about that stuff. But I'm just like, I'm just, okay. So he's doing it. Like he's got the the motivation and the initiation. And he's not afraid for them to say no. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's he's negotiating prices. And I'm like, okay, that's that's a success. Yeah, for sure. Just the fact that he's willing to put himself out there and do it. Yep. Because uh, he, he has his best friend that he went to middle school and high school with. And then his friend group that's up there, but he didn't know anybody else. And so these people that he's talking about doing these events for, they're complete and total strangers in a different state. You know, so um, I, I agree with you. He's doing some great things and I'm proud of him. You're lucky that he got his mom's looks because if he got I, yours, I he wouldn't have any friends. I know, I know. <laughs> he wouldn't have any friends at all. <laughs> <clears throat> I have some final thoughts. Okay. We'll end this pretty soon, but being a former kid of a dad, I'm always going to be his kid. The biggest thing, and this is for any parents out there. I'm not a parent yet, but being a a former child of a, a man and a mom, 
The biggest thing you can do, I think, in terms of your child's life is giving your child the ability to feel confident in what they're doing. Yeah. Um, there are people who are just not confident that they can achieve anything, and it's really sad. It is. So as a parent, if you can get your child to the point where they feel confident in achieving whatever it is, even if it's something that they aren't versed in, the ability to guide them in the direction where they do feel that they can learn it or achieve it is, I think, one of the greatest gifts you can give your child. I agree. And I think that you and Faith have done an incredible job doing that. Thank you. Yes, sir. That's what we set out to do. Yeah, well, you did you it. Know, we, that, was, that was always the goal, so that, that means a lot. And I'm sure that they look at you taking on this massive, massive task of writing a novel, and they see, my dad's 40 what? 47. I'll 47. Be 47 in March. And it's never too late to uh -uh. chase what you feel you're capable of. Absolutely not. It's never too late. Whatever you want to do, do it. Yeah. But thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to follow that up with a little levity and a really, really bad joke. Do it. I love them. How do you know when it's a dad joke? When it comes from Bobby. When it's a parent. <laughs> Okay, that was solid. That was solid. <laughs> it's terrible. No, no, no. Any any dad joke's a good joke. Yeah. You, you know what's funny is the older I've gotten, the more I appreciate these stupid little jokes because it's like you're able to make a joke out of something that's so dumb. Yeah. But it's the best. Yeah. Yeah, it's like dad jokes, especially when, when you're a dad, it's like a free pass to be a complete and total idiot. Yeah. And people laugh at it. Oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah. I've heard some good good ones lately, but I'm not gonna, not gonna um, torture everybody with that. But um, anything else that you wanted to talk about before we wrap it up? Not really, just um, everybody be on the lookout when uh, you get a release date, once you send those queries out and you get a release date, we're going to do another one so that we can pump this thing. Yeah, I appreciate um, it. Um, you know that you're going to have the support of the box. Obviously, you're a fan favorite there. So that's not going to be hard. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, have my, I had a personal Facebook page. I've had it for years. And I didn't like, uh, what, what, what is it called when you get rid of it? Um, deactivate? Deactivate it. Yeah, sorry. I can't think of the word right now. Uh, I didn't deactivate it. I I just made it dormant um, because I'm kind of putting all my eggs into the author page. So it's Robert Falkenberg author. If you don't follow it or like it, that would be great to add that because once I do get to the point where um, I've got a publisher, uh, you know, any and all updates about that process and where to get the book will be on my author page. And then, um, once I get a publisher, like they pick the cover, they might change the title. They're going to edit the book. They're going to handle printing and all that stuff. I have no control over any of that. Like they basically just take that part of the work, but I will, um, I will be able to market, uh, because they want, they want me to sell books just like they do. So all of that will be done through social media. You know, any, anything I do at all will be, will be there. So, um, 
it's just Robert Falkenberg, comma author. Okay. Instagram and Facebook. I'll share it. I have a Twitter too, but you know what I found out about Twitter? You know what I've learned about Twitter since I got on it in October of 2022? I learned that the Twitter user base is predominantly male and it's predominantly males between the ages of 20 and 40. Hmm. And I do horrible on Twitter right now. I, I imagine when I have some published works out there, I'll probably gain more followers. And so I just really don't use it at all, but I have one and it's Robert Falkenberg comma author too. So if you're on Twitter, you want to follow me there, that'd be great. But, um, Facebook is really like, they just have a market even over Instagram for just connecting with people. Yeah. I mean, they, they have the monopoly on it. It's crazy. But anyways, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for being you. Um, I'm glad we were able to do this. And it's really kind of cool to get all this equipment out. I had to go looking for some of it. I couldn't find some of it, so I had to substitute some other stuff. But I haven't sat here with this equipment and recorded a podcast since 2019. So this was really fun. You really fucked me up, to be honest. Why? Because people are going to hear the clarity of this audio <laughs> and they're going to expect it for the next ones. Well, so now I got to go out and spend a grand on audio equipment because Mr. Bobby Falkenberg <laughs> had to say, look what I got. But no, it's good. I like this. You know, here, here's the thing about that. This stuff just sits here. So if you have a computer you can use this stuff and you can keep recording it, but you got to learn how to use it. Yeah. And yeah. I'm happy to teach you. Yeah. Because, um, the only thing I was using this for was for when my daughter was recording her music. And when she wants to record music, I can just get it from you. But if you want to use it, you're welcome to use it. Okay. All right. I'll let you know. All right. I might do next week. Okay. Just All gotta right. let me know. Mr. Bobby. Thank you. You're welcome. Cheers. This has been a pleasure and a treat. So thank you very much. You're welcome. Hopefully I enjoyed it. everybody enjoys this. Me and Mr. Bobby talking unfiltered or more so me unfiltered. <laughs> I said the words that Bobby wasn't going to say, but those are all on me. So eh, a few of them slipped out. Thank you all for listening and uh, can't wait till the next one. Thank all you. Right. See y'all.